What's cracking? Big dogs. Welcome back to the channel. I gotta keep you all on your toes. This is just a quick intro. Today's piece of content is not because we did bunk bed breakdowns earlier this week. They're obviously not coming again on Wednesday. I was on a podcast last night, the Breakout Finder podcast with Nate Liss and Ryan Lopes. That is a podcast of the Roto Underworld Radio umbrella. It's underneath that umbrella. I'm sure a lot of you guys follow the Podfather and Matt Kelly. This was one of their shows, so they asked me to be on it. And I was like, this is perfect. Do you mind if I take your shit and put it on my shit? And then we can all get along and y'all can whatever the fuck I'm talking about. So that's what today is. Make sure that you are following Mr. Ryan Lopes and Nate Liss on Twitter. I will link their Twitter accounts down below. Make sure you're subscribed to the Breakout Finder pod as well as everything under the Roto Underworld Radio umbrella. All linked in the description. Sit bike. Tuck your shirts in. You know what I realize? I do too many live streams now in season, so I don't like get a real full-fledged intro where I can tell y'all to tuck your shirts and stop yelling. So do that. Let's eat. Hello, world. Welcome to the Breakout Finder podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Mr. Ryan Lopes. You can find him on Twitter at stillryan5. And back with us yet again, a absolute fan favorite, Mr. Nick Ercolano. You can find him on Twitter at Nick underscore BDGE. How is it going? Uh, it's going good, man. I... I think you could probably thank Leonard Fournette for for my appearance on the show today. <laughs> Listen, wow. I'm 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 not even I'm not even firing from the hip right now. Starting off with the Leonard Fournette stuff. <laughs> when Ryan reached out to me originally, he was like, "Yo, come on, this was last weekend or last mm -hmm. week, you know, mm -hmm. come on the podcast." I said, "Yeah, maybe. Like, we'll see how Leonard Fournette does this weekend, you know. And if he does, <laughs> if he does well, I wasn't really trying to do battle with you for like an hour and a half about right. Leonard Fournette. Uh, and since Leonard Fournette right. uh, decided to." you know, do Leonard Fournette <sighs> things this weekend, I was able to come onto the podcast. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're, you're starting off really early with this. I saw it, like, see, the thing is, you said you looked at the show sheet, and Ryan, being the sweetheart that he is, he mm. put the Leonard Fournette talk all the way at the very, very bottom. But predictably, Nick, when you show up, of course, <laughs> the week after we get a, a non-useful Leonard Fournette game, you it's fire just meant to be, man. Uh, immediately. Well, it's meant to no, be. it's it's fine. Listen, he's ignoring the fact that Leonard Fournette played well in week two. I mean, are we gonna are we going to act like that never took place, Nick? Here's the thing: like, we're not we're not gonna have a Leonard Fournette discussion right now, boys. Are we? <laughs> or are we? Like, this is. Are both you guys are just like ready. I can't even keep you. I can't Ryan, keep you separated. Hold my earrings and hold my purse. <laughs> we don't have to do it. The only reason I brought it up was listen. If I'm gonna come onto a podcast, like I want my intro to have. Uh, a little flame to it. I don't want to be like, I'm good. Things are crazy in this hectic world. I want to fucking do battle immediately. You want to you wanna make fun of Leonard Fournette off the dribble, no questions asked. We could do it at the beginning. It. We could do it again in the fourth quarter. Like, I'm here for it all, man. I don't, I don't give a fuck. Let's go right now. Let's talk about Leonard Fournette right now. Listen, so your contention, I mean, did you believe when Leonard Fournette... Uh, was going through the situation in Jacksonville that he was going to end up getting cut. Were you on that side, or did you just believe he was just going to drag it out in Jacksonville? Uh, no, like, it, I mean, if if I was going to put my money somewhere, like, it definitely was not going to be thrown away onto him getting cut. That's, you know, that's that's trying to hit zero on the roulette wheel, if we're being honest here. I just, my, my take was Jacksonville really showed their hands with, you know, trying to move him, and it, it just got to the point where it felt like they didn't 
they didn't want to use him. They didn't like him. And maybe they were going to force him into that role again. But but listen, like in all seriousness, when he signed with the Buccaneers, I moved him above Ronald Jones in my like season long rankings. I wasn't going to be, you know, just stuck into the take where my, my take was he was in Jacksonville and I just didn't believe that he could succeed there having the perfect cards dealt to him last year. And I felt like that was his ceiling. Right. And maybe he'll get the volume again, but it just it wasn't a good look for uh, for his fantasy outlook last year. So I was like, it can't get any better. But moving over to Tampa Bay, like I was way more excited about it uh, in his outlook for 2020. So I moved him above Ronald Jones and like, I'm not really uh, like anti Fournette right now, despite coming off uh, off of the game this weekend. Like, I just don't know if you want any part of this backfield. Listening to some people that know know their stuff and follow the Buccaneers teams, like they really believe that there's no, there's no featured back here. They believe that it's going to continue to be like, one bounces off the other. Maybe one gets the hot hand for a game, but that doesn't predict what's going to happen going forward. And we're seeing LaShawn McCoy getting like an uncomfortable amount of passing work. So, uh, yes, mm-hmm. Leonard Fournette, of course, has that game-breaking ability where he can you know, take that one to the crib at the end of the game and give you the fantasy points that Rojo probably can't. But it's just a backfield that I really don't want any part of right now. I think, honestly, the reality of the situation is I like the talent Leonard Fournette. You haven't been the biggest fan of Leonard Fournette's talent. <laughs> I thought being things— polite couldn't get worse if he left Jacksonville. And I don't think they have. I thought, like you said, Tampa Bay was a better situation. Here's the problem, though. Nobody believed that he was going to get cut except Evan Silva, tip of the hat to the goat. He called it. He got cut. And he ends up going to Tampa Bay. Now, the problem was, as we entered the season, uh, we heard Bruce Arians talking constantly about how Ronald Jones looks better. This is Ronald Jones' offense. He's going to be the starter. And we have heard him do this in the past. And it hasn't manifested. I think the problem is that Ronald Jones is still being given those opportunities. And I don't know how long this is going to go on for, despite the fact that we saw that Leonard Fournette game where he did exactly what you said he can do, which is break off big runs and tear off chunk plays. And I think that that's going to remain his role in this offense. But I agree with LaShawn McCoy getting a unreasonable amount of opportunity I don't know exactly what's going to happen. It feels incredibly muddy. I think that Fournette's a much better back than Ronald Jones. But why is Ronald Jones back in the mix? It doesn't make sense to me. So I'm going to continue to lean on Leonard Fournette in this offense. But people asked me this weekend if you'd start Leonard Fournette. I pretty much told most people I was uncomfortable starting him because I basically thought this is what was going to happen. I said, don't be surprised when Ronald Jones gets the most carries in this offense, and it's not for lack of talent with Leonard Fournette, but I think Bruce Arians has dug in on the fact that he believes Ronald Jones has the talent, and you know, Leonard Fournette is this late addition. So who knows what's going to happen? I think I there's, mean, and, I, and this, I think there's like like two outcomes realistically here. There's best case scenario, and then there's what's most likely to happen. And I think most likely it's going to continue to be a running back by committee for the most part. But on Leonard Fournette's side, like. If there's one running back that can take a stranglehold on the backfield, it's Leonard Fournette. Like, there's no scenario in which Fournette completely gets phased out of the backfield. There is a scenario where that could happen to Rojo, though. And I think most people are in agreement with that. So, if we're looking at strictly ceiling, like, this is something I kind of came onto this summer as well because a lot of people love to talk about player ceilings. I think, like, the better question is, like, what's the player ceilings? But realistically, what are what are the what's the likelihood that the ceiling actually comes to fruition? Like that's a that's the question I think we need to start asking ourselves more as fantasy players because chasing ceiling is great, but if you keep shooting fucking blanks at ceilings and ceilings and ceilings, your roster is going to be filled with with empty treasure chests. You know what I mean? So, um, All right. Fournette definitely has the best case scenario in his range of outcomes, where I don't think Rojo does at this point. But realistically, it's probably going to continue to be a committee. 
Here, and here's the other problem, though, with Leonard Fournette. I mean, Leonard Fournette has yet to be that back where he can be a low-volume guy and produce. I realize, again, in week two on, what, uh, on like 12 carries, he put up a, a boatload of volume on some on some big touches. But Leonard Fournette's a guy where he needed the volume to get the, you know, basically the statistical probability that he was going to rip one off. He's not a one-and-done guy. So these games when he's getting five carries, which are split up across three quarters, these games where he's getting seven carries, which are split up across two quarters, it's just not enough volume for him to necessarily get going. So that's another problem. But yeah. I agree. I think there could be more of a committee approach here. But 100% agree, Leonard Fournette is the guy that I would want to own in this offense in the end. Ryan, are you here? <laughs> Was I fucking? I don't like either of these players. That that was my take, and I, I'm just glad that we can get the Leonard Fournette juice. It was supposed to be on the show, but I'm glad we get out of the way right now. I'm 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 good. I'm good to roll past this, Ryan. I <laughs> I know you're here to be the beautiful one in the picture, but I, I want to bring you back yeah. in for the talk, man. Let's go. Wow, wow. I feel like right. I always okay. show up dressed to impress. <laughs> yeah, that was that wasn't even at the. This was the literal opposite side of the show sheet. So okay. So you're obviously well aware at this point, Nick, that we have had our first sort of announced COVID outbreak, and it's between Tennessee and Minnesota. The practice state, you know, facilities have been shut down, and all this is going on. So, what do you think the next step is from this point? Man, like, I feel like as um, as people whose livelihoods at this point kind of revolve around fantasy football, we've gone through so many uh, feelings about how the season's going to play out. Like when when the the Marlins down in Miami is that they're they're like the Miami Marlins still right yeah I believe so okay well when they had their outbreak in baseball and like 75 percent of their team caught COVID I was like there's no way we're having the football season like it's not happening and things like time passed by and things crept by and I'm like cool like football is going to happen and then I think we recently got to a point where I just like assumed we were going to be smooth sailing for the rest of the season like no positive test nothing so I think we like kind of uh dug ourselves into a bad hole of like unreal types of optimism. And now mm-hmm. we're getting hit with what we should have thought was going to happen all along. So at this point, I mean, there's nothing we could really do except kind of take it day by day from a, like a practical logistical standpoint. If you're a fantasy player, you always have to assume worst case scenario. Like you have to assume all four of these games are not being played this weekend and have backups. Cause if you don't do that and then it happens. You're, you know, you're going to be sitting with fucking multiple donuts in your lineup. And I'm in a league where I have fucking Ryan Tannehill going and Will Fuller in my lineup. Uh, <laughs> a couple other players within those four games. And I'm like, dude, like, thank God my, my league expanded their regular roster spots to like 20, as opposed to the 16 referring to a season long league, um, because it, it would be an issue. Otherwise the, the other thing that sucks too, and I'm not really sure what they're going to do about this. The platforms, these guys whose games get moved around, you don't have the luxury of putting them on the COVID IR unless they test positive, right? Like they just have to go mm-hmm. onto your bench with the, mm-hmm. with a, with a random buy coming out of nowhere. And you still have to pick up players without, putting them anywhere right so that that gets confusing so like i i got nothing groundbreaking here other than taking it day by day and playing it worst case scenario as a fantasy owner yeah and i think i think in general and and nick kind of alluded to it i think the league has done a very good job as far as testing and through the first three weeks and and i think it's been so good to the point like nick was saying that i think most fans myself i mean us here we probably just hey it's it's really gonna be smooth sailing we're kind of in the clear boys this is this is going this is going well and then obviously a little bit of a setback, a little bit of an outbreak. So it's, um, you know, and, and going kind of piggybacking on, on Nick's point about these season long leagues. And, you know, I find myself in the commissioner chair and in, in, in a few of them, and I got a boatload of texts today, you know, right. You know, what, what are we going to do? And, and I kind of, kind of referred back to text that I sent 
earlier this summer was like, listen, if, if we're, we're going to put money in, we're going to play football this year. You guys have to realize that this is going to happen once, twice, a handful of times. Like no one knows what the fuck's going to happen. So you got to saddle up and play and, and be willing and able to kind of roll the dice every single week, knowing that there's very little control outside of like Nick said, expanding bench spots, adding IR spots, doing all that stuff that you can do. But if the league's got to move games around or cancel, you know, whatever it is, like there's certain things where you just don't have control over it and it's going to fucking suck most weeks. You're going to you're going to end up, you know, getting beat out of a game, whatever it is. But it's just this is this is the era that when this is COVID era football, I guess. And this is just it's the first of what I hope is is the only one. But just feels like, you know, this could pop up any 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 weekend, you know. With all the injuries that have already taken place this year, it's just like this this one more potential sort of, uh, you know, booby trap that fantasy gamers have to go through. You've already your teams are ruined. Everybody's team has dealt with some significant injury that is just throttled. You know what? I've had a team with like Barkley and Michael Thomas and Christian McCaffrey and all these guys, and it's fucking wrecked. And so I'm a team that should have won. And now I'm on the outside looking in, and then you've got COVID mixed in here. And it, we knew this all along. It could pop up at any moment. Um, so I, like like Nick said, play day by day with it and just make sure that you've got substitutes ready. Uh, everybody's fucking guys are on IR, though. So what are you going to do? <laughs> um, now, everybody that listens to this show knows that Ryan is the one that makes the show sheets. Ryan's also typically one that gets the guests. He brought Nick on this week. Um, Ryan wrote this question. And I'm I'm I've got a question mark over my head in like a thought bubble because it says Brian Hill better than Todd Gurley question mark. Mm. Brian, are you implying that you believe Brian Hill is better than Todd Gurley? I, uh, you know, knowing that we had Nick on the show, Nicholas, the the resident Falcons fan here, you know, I, I, I had to get barely the Falcons back barely. Here. I'm hanging on by <laughs> a to, fucking thread right uh, now. I said this <laughs> I to my to friends him. last night. Sorry to cut you off. But <laughs> no, no, you're if good. for some fucking way, shape or form. Adam Gase ends up in Atlanta. I'm done. I'm over. Oh I'm in Vegas. I'm imagine? in Vegas. <laughs> my friends were like, "We'll call you a fraud, but we'll understand." Yeah. That's it. I uh, no. I mean, again, and this is it, on the it's a surface level question. Uh, one would think, you know, Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley, he's 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 running off the name right now. Mm-hmm. But you know, last year we talked plenty about it this offseason, about the state of his knees, just the way he he moves and runs. It's just it unfortunately doesn't look like Todd Gurley anymore. And Brian Hill, I think you know, especially last week, and and, and Nick going to take the mic here in a second. Like I, I, watching what I watched and 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 the, the Hill runs that I watched, he looks like the better back currently right now on the on the Atlanta Falcons. So I don't know if that's just a, a matter of situation where, you know, the Falcons are 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 banged up at pass catcher and they need to, you know, I, I don't know. To me is 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 the Hill an overreaction? Uh, you know, the the Hill statement an overreaction, Nick, or is that, you know, does Gurley just kind of look like a shell of his former self? No, nah, I mean, he does look, he looks terrible, but I I don't I don't know if I'm willing to say that Brian Hill's a better running back than Gurley at this point. I think what he does, he brings a different skill set. He brings something to the field that Todd Gurley doesn't, and that's that's valuable to the Atlanta Falcons as a football team. Brian Hill's got a lot of shortcomings as a running back too, though. Like I don't know, his vision is questionable at, at times, and like he does burst out, you know, the thirty-five yard touchdown every once in a while. Which you know, like Todd Gurley at this point, he, he's capped at like a fourteen-yard run. Like that's the most mm-hmm. excitement you're getting out of Todd Gurley right now. Yeah. But he's going to continue mm-hmm. to get twelve touches in an offense that's scoring thirty points per game. And that's going to end up being more valuable than what Brian Hill does, right? We could be like, oh, Gurley's losing the passing work, but Brian Hill's leading the backfield with six receptions or, you know, and it's, or six targets, you know, and his, his target share is like 4.7%. So it's not necessarily like, oh, who's the one getting the targets, but it's like 
does it even fucking matter at this point? So it's not a backfield that I really want any part of. And I'd be looking at sell, sell Todd Gurley for anything I can get uh, for him at this point. Not that anyone's really looking to buy, but Gurley's not a guy I want on my team. I, I wish we had like a, we need a new metric. I feel like for fantasy football, like Gurley, we always talk about like value over expected fantasy points given. We we need like a a, a fun value meter because Gurley's like the least fun <laughs> player to own on your team right now. I'm gonna really I'm gonna is. do my rankings next year where I'm like the most enjoyable players. You average them out with if they're fucking good or not, right. and then those are the guys I want to own. Like okay, you know what? Enjoy yeah. your fucking twelve points from Todd Gurley. But hate yeah. yourself for doing it. So that's where I stand. I I don't think Zero Ryan Hill is actually like that much better, but he's different. Yeah, this this Atlanta team feels destined to add some running back next year. I, I mean, they got Gurley on the cheap on a one year deal. Atlanta used to be this like sort of running back coveted location. There was a time where owning a Falcons running back was was something to be you know held in high regard but at this point yeah Todd Gurley doesn't look the same the pre-cutter days uh, man just, the pre-cutter days that's <laughs> right, what it was right I, I just don't know that the answer is in this backfield and like you said yeah they both have seven targets on the season which is literally nothing that's Joe Mixon's status <laughs> which we're probably going to get to him later but there's less confusion about the Atlanta backfield and a lot more confusion about this Los Angeles Rams backfield Daryl Henderson Cam Akers, you know, you've got Malcolm Brown in there. What What's going on here? Is Daryl Henderson about to take over this backfield? Yeah, I guess he is uh, until he isn't. I, I think what he did was like quickly filter Malcolm Brown out. I, I think, man, Cam Akers is, is, it sucks because these rookie backs like Mojo, right? Just straight up Mojo is like one of the most important things from when they get drafted up until the beginning of the season. And like even looking at a dude like DeAndre Swift, man, such high hopes for him. As soon as he started sitting out practice, he was out for like that one week, two weeks with the leg. You're like, this is this is problem. He needed everything to hit right in order for him to hit his ceiling. He sits out. They sign like if he doesn't sit out, they probably don't sign Adrian Peterson. If they don't sign Adrian Peterson, he probably has that role by like week one or two. You know, the, these things need to happen. And Cam Akers has has had as many unlucky breaks as you can probably have right now in the Rams backfield. And he was the starter in week two, and he was getting all the touches on that first drive and he looked good before he got hurt. Then Darrell Henderson came in and looked amazing this weekend. And I think for the time being, yeah, it's going to be the Henderson show. Malcolm Brown came onto the field like at the end of the second quarter. He was he was a nothing last game and uh, it was a Henderson show. And I I expect it to be Akers and Henderson when Akers finally returns to the field, but they have a pretty light schedule right now. I don't think there's any any reason to uh, rush Akers back right now with Henderson playing the way he is. So I'm I'm ecstatic to have Henderson for the rest of the year. In terms of dynasty, you I mean listen, Akers as a prospect, those numbers aren't going anywhere. He's still athletic. He's still got the size. He's still fast and can catch the ball and can run really well. Uh, but again, like Mojo, the Mojo is a real thing. And like that can factor into the season long, which factors into Dynasty. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the whole the whole Dynasty slant, too, because I think Akers obviously is still the is still the back you want to roster long term. But Henderson, man, coming off of two back to back top 12 RB, you know, weeks here. Um, and and I kind of just go back to, you know, when when he was a draft prospect and he was coming out and, and, and that offseason, like he really was immediately tabbed as just next up. And then obviously that quickly went away. It's just it's crazy just to look back on on how high many of us are on some of these backs and how quickly they fall and then fall to the point of just being completely forgotten about in Henderson's case. Now, all of a sudden, 
I think he's got a legit shot to kind of ride this thing out. I mean, even if Akers does come back, um, you know, healthy or very close to healthy and, and, and knowing how exciting he was as a prospect and kind of where he was tabbed, where many of us were tabbing him in this offense this year, man, if Henderson keeps running like he has these past two weeks, I mean, it's going to be hard to really, you know, find a way to siphon carries or targets away from him. Um, so I don't know, Nate, maybe it's just me being a little bit higher on Henderson last offseason, getting swept up in all that. Um, I don't know. Do you do you have a, a do you lean one way or the other here, uh, Nato? I mean, I think Cam Akers is probably the back to own in the long run. But when you look at Henderson, man, and I'm glad you brought up the sort of draft process a year prior because he was considered the fourth or fifth, you know, fifth best back in this class after sort of the Jacobs, you know, Sanders, Montgomery. And then right in that group, you started to look at this next group of guys. And Henderson was right in that conversation, especially going to a backfield that we felt like didn't have a ton of challenges um, in the future. And this is a Rams team that's two and one. I mean, I think they legitimately believe they have a shot at competing, even though the Seahawks are just going to smash them. <laughs> but they legitimately believe that they have a shot. And I think they want to lean on that running back that understands the system uh, as they're being competitive. And again, going back to this, it, it, Henderson was one of the sort of sought after backs. And one of the things we loved about him was that burst. Right. And you're seeing it on the field now. Chunk yardage. I mean, he had far less carries the week prior. Twelve carries went yeah, 121 total yards. I mean, that was a big game. Twenty carries last game. But, yeah, he's been incredibly productive in this offense. They've got weapons on the outside. Um, but Cam Akers, to me, is definitely a hold. I wouldn't be afraid. And, and to Nick's point, it's exactly right. Sort of that uh, machismo or whatever when you show up originally in the league as a rookie. I mean, we're seeing Dobbins is kind of playing this back, you know, backwards role. We're seeing same thing with Swift. That was a great point about him. Same thing with Akers. So I think it's going to take time, but you just got to believe in the talent of these players. So I'm not worried about the situation. It's going to be what it's going to be this year. There's so many injuries. Just, just wait for any one of these guys to get hurt again, because almost a guarantee to happen at this point. Okay. Yes, I agree with this next question. <laughs> Nick Chubb is one of the top three best pure runners in the league, but as a huge Kareem Hunt throughout the offseason, he's not going away. He cannot be ignored. Nick, how do you value these two players? Yeah, so like they're both just so, so incredible, and I would be happy to own both of them. I would happy to be own either of them. I would happy be happy to start either of them on like a given week. They are both top five in like yak per attempt, both top five in elusiveness on, on PFF. Um, and, and the Browns, like they went into the off season with a very, very, very clear plan. And it was to make this a run first team. And they're running the ball at the second highest rate in the entire NFL. Like 53% of their plays have been run. And like, here's the thing with like offensive lines. A lot of people like to predict and project like, lines improving and getting worse and stuff typically when we see big swings in offensive lines going from like really bad to really good or vice versa it's from big pieces being moved around right it's not just like oh these guys are going to progress oh we got a good like offensive line coach sometimes it happens but more often than not like the rams right with andrew whitworth like that was a game-changing piece for them we saw the cleveland browns make two big moves to their offensive line this offseason and it's come to fruition like their top five in run blocking and pass blocking a, a basically in every like advanced analytics website that you can go find. And it's worked so well. Uh, I, I think like what is going to be really telling is the next, is the next kind of three games, right? Like this is an offense where a lot of times we'll have like two wide receivers on the same team. And in the summer, you'll kind of debate it. You'll be like, do I want this guy or this guy? And you're just like, I'll take either piece. Cause it's a funnel target 
offense. This is just a funnel to their running backs. And I think it will be a little bit more game script dependent going forward. Because you look at the first three games, and it was Baltimore. They got they got absolutely wiped out. So it's more of a Kareem Hunt than a Nick Chubb game. Then the next two games, they were playing against like Cincinnati and Washington. So that's more of a Nick Chubb game. Uh, and, and those are games they expect to win. But the next three games, I think their schedule is Dallas, Indy, and Pitt. So neither of those three games are games that you expect them to get wiped out in. Neither of them are games that you expect them to blow the other team out in. So we'll get a much clearer picture uh, as to what we'll expect. And I think... I think realistically with Nick Chubb, like as much as I love him, he's someone that I actually would ship off in both season long and dynasty right now, because I think you're going to have as many games like you had in week one as you are in week two and three, but he's actually coming off the week two and three games back to back right now. So his value is like, oh, he's Nick Chubb, but they played Cincinnati and they played Washington. So love both guys, but like I, I would sell Chubb on the value right now. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought up the whole the whole trade proposition because that's kind of where I wanted to, to to go with this as well. I was I I am in in one of my you know season long leagues. I, I I do have Chubb and I have a ton of Chubb across Dynasty as well. So you know seeing Kareem Hunt, just knowing how talented this backfield is, knowing what how much Kareem Hunt eats into to to what Chubb does or can do, just his ceiling. It it, it kind of sucks from that standpoint. But you know I was gonna I, I was I've been floating Chubb out there in these in these season long leagues. You know a couple weeks ago decided to hold on to him after knowing this this past week's matchup and again he he certainly smashed so i think to nick's point if you have chubb um and you perhaps have a need at wide receiver or if you can return back you know a sanders and someone else you know this is definitely the time to go ahead and offload and try to and try to you know take advantage of that super super you know productive week three um and and again to nick's point the schedule does you know i, th- I think it's going to be interesting you know the, the, these next few weeks are going to be interesting enough for this backfield and i know last week you know kareem hunt and there was talk about it this past offseason where certainly seeing it play out where cream hunt is you know splitting out wide in the slot whatever being used more as that kind of pure receiver so um very interesting way the browns are approaching this um you know it it, it again it's bittersweet because of how talented chubb is you, how you just know those be. like eight point games are coming though you know it's oh, gonna happen sure. like for next sure. week and it, then in two weeks Absolutely. It's it's going to be a roller coaster and it's going to be super frustrating because we know Chubb can carry the load. We know Chubb can do whatever is going to be asked of him, whatever's going to be asked of Kareem Hunt. Chubb can do all that. But again, I mean, this this backfield man is like so incredibly talented. It just doesn't doesn't make sense. I know, Nate, I know you're riding high, man, after all the, the Kareem Hunt propaganda this <laughs> this past offseason. I mean, come on, come on. I, I certainly was looking at Kareem Hunt. In this off- we all knew Kareem Hunt was good. Like, that was never a question. The question was, what is the volume going to be like? And we saw Kareem Hunt come back from suspension last year and phase Nick Chubb out of this offense in a lot of ways. And it's not so dissimilar as to what we're seeing right now, when you look at the target share per game, Kareem Hunt's averaging 3.7, basically. Nick Chubb's averaging one target a game. We've talked about this in the past. When you look over the last two or three seasons, the top 10 fantasy finishers at the running back position, in the last two years, only two have finished with less than 60 targets. So Nick Chubb is going to need a boatload of touchdowns. Now, we know he's going to get the rushing volume. He's ha- He has been getting it. But when you look at these two guys, Nick talked about this. They're both, you know, top five in yards created. Currently, Nick Chubb is averaging 18 touches a game. Most people go, well, what's Nick, you know, what's Kareem Hunt averaging? I I don't know. He feels like he's on the field a lot. He's averaging nearly 16 touches a game. And some of those are through the air. And that's more valuable as uh, um, Scott Barrett's talked about. I think a a target's worth 2.75 times more than a rushing attempt. So, Kareem Hunt's value is going to stay high, and he's more useful on the field at times than Nick Chubb is. 
And I totally agree on the sell factor. I know we love Nick Chubb, but he's in like he's in one of the craziest committee backfields we've we've seen in forever. Yep. I mean, when your fucking backup is Kareem Hunt, who would be legitimately the starter on any team in the league, short of Kareem Hunt getting traded, I think there is a concern for Nick Chubb at multiple points through the rest of this year. And I made a bet with Matt Kelly earlier in the year. We'll see if it comes true. I bet him that Kareem Hunt would finish with more total points by the end of the year. And I still don't think it's crazy. Nick, is that crazy? Then Nick Chubb? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he better have given you some fucking juice on that. <laughs> I don't know if he did. You know how the show goes. Straight up. I mean, yeah, that's kind of fucking lifeless of, of Kelly if he made you make that bet straight up. But I'm, I respect the balls on that. And I think it's – I mean, is it PPR standing? Yep. Okay. I mean, listen, like straight up, if, if he's averaging 16 touches, Chubb's at like 18 or whatever, it's yep. very, very doable. And Kareem Hunt, this is going to be one of those seasons where like every week people are like, this is when, you know, Kareem Hunt's efficiency is too high. It's got to regress. And then we look back and we're just like, no, he's just one of the best running backs in the NFL. And his efficiency is going to be there throughout the entire season. So, no, I don't I don't I mean, Nick Chubb's rushing touchdowns are going to start coming down because they're not going to have those ma that many opportunities against real rushing defenses. So I don't think it's crazy. I think that's a f fucking fantastic call by you. Thanks, man. You know, I, I decided, you know, Nate, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> Things are going good in your life. Why don't you go ahead and set your nuts on the table and take an even bet? And I did, and I feel pretty good about that. Hell yeah. Um, okay. Dwayne Haskins. Not a big fan. Did a bunch of uh, patron leagues this summer. Uh, I, God, I, I punted quarterback, so naturally ended up with Haskins everywhere. Mm, He's my second quarterback. Haskins. Second quarterback in Superflex. Very fucked up situation to be in. So... He's not good, right? And what does that mean for Terry McLaurin? Are you still buying up Terry McLaurin? What are your thoughts on him going forward? So, I mean, listen, I'm 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 ready for Alex Smith, man. I really am. I he's he's the hero that 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 we need, but like none of us mm -hmm. deserve it, you know? Like we we're, we shouldn't get Alex Smith, but I really hope we do see it. For Terry, uh I'm holding Terry if I have him cuz I think we've seen his floor in two of the first 3 weeks. It's 4 for 60. It's Four for 83, I think, this weekend. And then in between that, he's sandwiched with a seven for a buck 25 and a touchdown. And on the on the days where Dwayne Haskins is uh, is inaccurate for him, so I guess accurate in a sense, like Terry McLaurin will, <laughs> will pop off there. So I think like more often than not, you'll probably get his floor, but his floor is fine. His floor is like a legit uh, low wide receiver too. And his ceiling games, like right now, like talent-wise, man, there are not outside of like the real elite dudes on the outside. There are not a lot of guys that you can really one for one put put up above Terry McLaurin. I think just being the focal point of that offense in the passing game uh, is enough of a floor that I'm not I'm not looking to ship him, man. I'll, I'll hold on to it and, and ride for smoother, uh, smoother water. Yeah. Pulling up player player profile McLaurin's page here, dude. Uh, number four in snap share, number one in route participation, number 11 in targets. So to Nick's point, certainly the focal points, certainly getting the looks, the volume, the volume for us obviously remains king. Um, man, it's uh, I, I don't think you can really ship him and sell him for much. Yeah. Um, but man, Haskins, Haskins is just so bad, so bad. And, and I, I really had. Uh, I don't want to say very high hopes, but I, I, I was certainly optimistic with Has Haskins coming out. Um, I know things haven't broken right in Washington around him. He hasn't made things better himself. He, he, I don't think he's progressed. It's, it's, it's early yet. It's only, it's only been three, three games in the season, but I, he certainly hasn't shown 
very many signs of life. Um, so it's it's a it's it's a terrible situation in that regard. So I, Nate, I don't think you can get anything from McLaurin right now. I think holding him is is the prudent move. Um, but man, I don't know what's next for Washington. I guess they're they're targeting a quarterback early next year, perhaps. Mm, that that has to be the case. I mean, listen, Terry McLaurin is in a pretty awful situation. We can all agree he is the guy there as well. He was great last year, currently averaging 16 fantasy points per game, faced Darius Slay, faced Patrick Peterson with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. He's currently number one after the catch, which is insane because the ball is inaccurately being thrown his way. But Okay, Nick. Nick, I want to ask you a question because you brought up the fact that you know that there was few wide receivers that you would take over McLaurin. Is that what you said earlier? Uh, no, I, it was more so like on a talent level. I'm saying like okay. Terry. If you take out, obviously, I'm not going about to compare him to like DeAndre Hopkins and and those types of guys. But in the next tier of guys, just straight up, you put him in an offense similar to the same dudes. I don't. I mm-hmm. like, the way I my comp for Terry McLaurin is like Robert Woods with four three five speed. Love it. Let me let me ask you this then. Let me put you on the spot. I'm going to give you uh, I'm going to give you a contrived dichotomy. I'm going to give you another player. You tell me if you prefer Terry McLaurin to them just based on players that are generally being valued in the same location. In Dynasty. In Dynasty. Okay. So, Terry McLaurin or Michael Gallup? McLaurin. Okay. Terry McLaurin or DJ Chark? McLaurin. Mm. Terry McLaurin or Cooper Cup? Oof. Uh Oh, this year's sticking point. I'm really, I'm actually surprised by this. One. Yeah, that, that uh, yeah, the other one would be tougher for me. The, only the, only the, because the he just McLaurin got call. he just got that extension. The the mm-hmm. Chark McLaurin thing was really close for me in the preseason, but like Chark's got me a little nervous, man. Right now, I don't like I don't like what we're seeing in the beginning of the season. Even when he was a little bit healthy, wasn't getting like the real targets that we were expecting from Gardner. But uh, Terry Cooper Cup, like if I'm if I'm on the clock, I'm what I'm doing is I'm taking Terry there. Mm. Okay, last one, last one. Deontay Johnson or Terry McLaurin? Oh, that's so close. I was just redoing my rankings a little earlier today, and they they are they're they're close. Um, I will take I, I will take Terry there as well. Mm. Wow, just a clean sweep. One last one here: Terry McLaurin or Tyler Lockett? Ah, fuck that. Uh, wow. Listen, we're I, we're I, 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 okay. I, uh, I, Okay, you got stressed. I'm stressed out. Terry, Terry, Terry. I'm sticking with my man. I'm sticking with my man, Terry. Wow. Five for okay. five, bro. Wow. And Terry McLaurin, by the way, is 25 years old for those of you listening at home. He's an OG. Uh, I, I just wanted to say this, too, about Tyler Lockett. I just did this big show. Um, I was talking about Tyler Lockett's just criminal, like, uh, undervalue uh, history. And... I basically said that he's a top 15 wide receiver who's constantly being valued outside the top 20. And I basically said on air, I said, listen, if you compare any of these other guys to him, then you necessarily consider him a a top 20 or higher wide receiver. And I brought up Terry McLaurin because I think that Terry McLaurin is probably right there on the backside of 20 in terms of dynasty wide receivers. Now, based on your response, you probably have him closer to 15 overall. Yeah. So if you were doing your rankings, is that about where you have him? Yeah, I have Terry. I want to say Terry at like probably 16 or, or 17-ish okay. in that range. And Tyler Lockett is just okay. a dude that, man, I, I was going to wait till we talked about DK Metcalf for this. But like the same way we 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 loved Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and just like we want to own the Kansas City Chiefs running back because that position in fantasy is just so valuable – is there a more valuable thing than just being attached to Russell Wilson right now? Like, no, right? 
No, dude, what there, what 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 Skybox Shoddy has is dialed up, man. I'm just so. I mean, again, I guess this is a case where the timeline has just worked out perfectly. <laughs> you call and, him Skybox Shoddy. <laughs> Skybox Shoddy. Like, is that? I like that. I, you haven't heard that. I've name. never you're, heard like, that. You're inundated with Seahawks Twitter, man. Skybox no. Shoddy. It's a whole thing. Shout out Zach Whitman. I'm sure that That's was good. him, dude. Zach Whitman was fucking on ESPN, uh, talking about let Russ cook. Just unreal. He had Josh Gordon. Like tweet at him too today. Dude is just riding like an incredible like three or four day high. Epic. Uh, dude, I you know it's one of those things where we you know we as football fans as fantasy football fans have it's been a joke, right? You know you gotta you gotta let Russ cook, but you know just you you gotta just dial up these just un just unleash Russy, and it it looks like it's finally happened through through three weeks, man. It's it so Nate it, it hasn't even it's hit its it hasn't even hit its stride yet. That's what I'm saying. That, the whole let Russ cook thing, I know Zach went on ESPN and explained it, but here's what I'm confused by. They're still not letting him cook. He's hardly averaging more than he's ever averaged in his career. But Nate. And Russell Wilson, Nate, he's only finished in the top 10 in pass attempts once, and they're currently ranked number 20 in the NFL in pass attempts. Yes, Nick. I, I knew I knew that point was going to come up because that was the same thing I said after week one. Everyone's like, oh, my God, they let Russ cook. I was like, he threw the ball like 33 times. What the fuck are you talking about? But, but the difference this year is now – uh, and the rate of passes, like their plays as a percentage of their plays, much higher in the passing game. So their offense overall is so much more efficient rather than wasting two plays on a run than letting them pass the ball. It's just like pass, pass, pass off the rip. And he's scoring at they, such a high fucking rate that they don't, they, don't, they don't get a lot of plays. You know what I mean? Yeah, Russell Wilson is the god. We've been talking about this forever. It's just, to me, it's crazy because we were seeing Chris Carson targeted heavily. I mean, he was going to go 50-plus targets. But they also, they just... The fucking run game is good with Carson. Carlos Hyde spells him, but now we don't have Carson. So we'll see what happens with a lesser threat out of the backfield. I hope everybody was stashing Rashad Penny. He is coming back. We've been talking about this. I forgot also, I about him. I think they extend Chris Carson. But <laughs> you should add Rashad Penny. He will be back this year. He looked great in his two starts last year towards the end of the year. Nonetheless, uh, I don't know what to add to Russell Wilson's thing. I agree with your point that the rate has changed, and Russell Wilson's just being more lethal. Like, they're just letting him air it out, which is nice to see. And they should have all along, but I think we all agree. At the point in time that you made Russell Wilson the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL when that was the case, they should have been letting him air it out nearly 40 times back then because the efficiency of Russell Wilson throwing the ball is so much greater than anybody else. It's it's better. It's a better bet than running. And now DK Metcalf is doing his thing, which we will get to. So you guys got me on a tangent. This is well, this is before, not before we press forward. Going back to the to the five players here, Nate. Just judging off of your reactions, you yes. would take Lockett over McLaurin. You would take Shark over McLaurin. You would take Deontay Johnson over McLaurin, and Gallup probably leaning McLaurin. And I forgot the other, the fifth one. Uh, the uh, fifth one was Cooper Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup. Yeah. So you would probably take so McLaurin over Cooper Cup. Uh, okay, here here's where I'm at. I would go I would go McLaurin over Cup. I know that sounds crazy. I realize he got an extension, but I, I just McLaurin's so good. I just you're betting on his situation changing, which is a fucked up way to play the game. I realize it's a bad way to play the but game. But he's not I bad. Like he's McLaurin. not bad. Now, if he was putting up like four for thirty five games, I'd be like, fuck, his floor is terrible. But he's not. Yeah. You know. Yeah, he's really good, and I agree with your take on Shark. And Shark is very lucky that Chenault didn't tear the seen apart last game that could have been an, uh, an insane turning point 
in this offense going forward if, if we saw Chenault just absolutely shoot so you the think field. you think that could have been the straight up the the, the Wally Pitt moment that right was the there. death like that, right there that, that could have been it trailer. I think we all felt like it right when yeah. I, well it was yeah if, if you were going to play Chenault in season long or DFS for those that for those that dabble like last week was the one where the stars for sure aligned and it didn't quite come through unfortunately but yeah, uh, yeah that that I guess that that could have gotten really ugly for for shark really really quick it felt fucking teed up i'm gonna be honest with you i i, I bought a i bought the shark card online <laughs> i've been buying i've been buying cards i talk about this a lot oh you're in but you're I, in the I've sports been, card game yeah do you collect cards nah card so like i i did when i was younger i have a enormous collection of baseball cards and i listen to gary v like almost daily probably and he's been yeah, yeah, yeah. you know chirping about it for like three years now I, I, I wish, like, I know I should. I wish I had time and energy. I remember I was a fiend when I was younger. I was buying, like, the tops, <laughs> the Beckett books and looking up values. Like, I wasn't even selling my cards, but I'd be like, oh, shit, this went up, like, 42 cents today. Like, I'm I'm rich yeah. now. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I still had that mentality because I'd be fucking absolutely dominating on the market, but no, I'm not. I'm just a fraud. Here's the, here's the thing, though, man. So I grew up the same way. My dad, we used to endlessly get that guy to buy us packs so we could rip packs. Hell yeah. You know, you'd go, because you know how it goes, man. You open a pack of cards, you're like, shit, 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 nobody. Dad, can I have another? You know, and he would buy yep. you a pack of cards. And he would fucking fly through a pack in no time. I've I've gotten back into it recently after the same thing as you, dude. I got a closet full of fucking cards that I haven't looked at in 25 years. But I found myself getting back into it, and I've got some patrons that I've talked to on the side that are very into card collecting. And so I've been buying up cards here and there, just trying to spend a little bit of money. Like, I bought this DJ Moore. It's called an RPA, so it's a rookie patch auto. It's like a thicker-than-normal card. It's got the player's jersey in it, and it's got an autograph that's authenticated by Panini. There you go. And you can buy these things. And I bought a really nice one for, like, 25 bucks, And it's you take sort of that dynasty knowledge. Dude, I was going to say, your, yeah. Like, dynasty yeah. players will be real good at, at flipping cards, man, for real. 100%. And the card market, similar to Ryan kind of earlier talking about, like, the value of running backs, how this, there's such a variance. The card market flies like I was buying some of these NBA players that were about to go into the bubble. Their card shot up while they were in the bubble. Then they got knocked out of the bubble. Their card went back down. So there's just this wild variance, like almost game to game. NBA is crazy. NBA is crazy because um, the cards themselves, like NBA is obviously a lot less popular overall than the NFL in America, at least. But sure. you see the players' faces, you know? So, like, people get attached to NBA players way more than they get attached to NFL. So, like, the variance in those guys, like, they could do something on, like, TikTok that will make them fucking go through the roof because yes. everybody knows them and stuff. So, it, it's a funny game, man. If you're on top of pop culture and if you're on top of, uh, especially, like, understanding dynasty fantasy football, there's definitely some shit to be had there in cards. It's crazy, right, man? I think, and cards are so fun. And what I do, I've been in some auctions, and I like to fucking wait. I just camp out on it. I don't make a bid. I just watch it for days. And then when it gets <laughs> right to the end, about 11 seconds, I just, boop, I just raise it a <laughs> buck. Because eBay doesn't do this thing where, like, uh, in some other, in, like, uh, auction leagues online, if there's, like, five seconds left and you put in your auction, it bumps it back up to, like, 15 seconds. You know what I mean? It always gives it a right, chance right. to never go to zero, but not on eBay. It yeah. goes to fucking zero. So as long as your computer doesn't lag, you can buy that shit at like four seconds and just guarantee the win if you're willing to do it. So I've been just trying to win cards like on the last second. So it's a really embarrassing like addiction that it started. But uh, I think I think maybe in the off season when, when I have a little bit more time and we're not so like the in season grind is just out of control. Like it's so hard to keep on top of things sure. outside of your life. But sure. maybe like January, that'll be one of my like my passion projects that I do for a few months. 
There you do go. it, man. I just neglect my whole fucking family, man. I'm just <laughs> yeah, all the time. Dude, same, bro. Same. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, all right, Nick, let's let's move on with this thing yeah. here. So, uh, you know, Ryan, beautiful question here. Talking about this Tampa Bay offense, talking about Chris Godwin being injured. What do we think about this Tampa Bay offense? I know we talked about Leonard Fournette right off the bat because you're a prick. So here we are now. We're looking at this question. What do you think about this offense as a whole? Uh, I think they're fine, to be honest. I, I think like people were like, if they're not six and zero by the time the season starts, they're they're not the greatest team of all time. And like we had to give them a little bit of time to mesh. I think Brady's been fine coming off a three touchdown game. Uh, he's rated pretty high in a lot of statistics. He's got like a top five passing grade per PFF behind Ross Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, guys like that. Uh, number one in, in yours truly on player profiler and money throws. I just think for this team, there's been a lot of moving parts, right? Like coming into the season, Evans had the hamstring injury that hampered him. Leonard Fournette gets signed a week before. Now Chris Godwin's basically like dead. And we don't know what's going on right now. So there's just been so much uh, craziness that's happening and I don't know like when we're going to get to the point where we can say like, okay, now they're at full strength, but if they can, here's the thing, like they're two and one, they play the chargers and the bears over the next two games, right? Uh, they can easily come away with two wins there, be four and one and have a great showdown against the Packers in week six. And we'll see what they're really made of at that point. Like if this team can get through all this adversity right now with like a, a solid record, five and three over the first half of the season, they're, they're going to be a problem over the second half. So I admittedly, I threw this question on the show sheet because I had been going back and forth with Mr. Late Round Quarterback, J.J. Zacharyson. Uh, we've been talking about a bunch of different players, but um, I recently was offered uh, Mike Evans for um, – I forget what the trade was, but I, I've gotten a couple Mike Evans offers for a couple of my players this this uh, early this season already. Um, and I was bullshitting back and forth with, with J.J., and JJ's response, he kind of he kind of left me hanging. He was like, "Listen, uh, Evans, we know Evans is good, and and he looks likely to be kind of the last man standing in the sense that, as Nick said, Godwin's banged up, Gronk's a non-factor, OJ Howard's all over the map, the backfield is more or less a mess. Uh, so Evans looks like the guy in Tampa Bay, and Brady is kind of developing that report. But JJ kind of left me hanging and said, "Listen, I just I don't really think this." this Buccaneers offense is, is that good or going to be that good or, or maybe to Nick's point kind of hit those expectations. So he, he kind of had me shook with that. So I, I immediately kind of backed up. I was like, I really had to kind of reevaluate and kind of think this through myself. That's why I wanted to get your guys take. So, so Nick, you seem to be a bit more optimistic. Maybe. I'm optimistic uh, about the team overall. Uh, I just, okay. I don't know if we're going to see firepower out of the offense. I, I, I do think right. that this team is going to be like a very, a very real playoff contender though, by, by season's end. Yeah. And and I think to to your point, there was probably a a bunch of you know the off season, which is we're so hungry for anything <laughs> content related. So you see a cool fucking Brady Gronk Evans graphic, and your pants immediately come off, and everyone's excited and all that shit. But I think everyone kind of jumped the shark, got a little bit ahead of themselves. Um, and Brady, I think, has been okay. Um, I don't think again he's going to hit wherever that bar was, you know, prematurely set. Nate, are you again your your Leonard Fournette fandom aside? Do you have a strong take on, I guess, Evans in particular or this this Buccaneers offense as a whole moving forward just for this season redraft purposes? Man, I, I love Mike Evans. I've always liked Mike Evans, and that guy is just – it's weird. He's He's kind of been shit on in some circles, and he's been great his whole career. Now, admittedly, he's had a lot of volume his whole career, and I did have questions when Tom Brady was – coming to Tampa Bay, I was like, well, is he going to be able to sort of mesh with what this offense wants to do? Is he going to be good 
from Mike Evans. And you look back at 2019 and Tom Brady was in the top 10 in pass attempt distance overall. And then not so shockingly, he's currently number seven overall in air yards. So Tom Brady is still slinging it down the field. Um, this, you know, thus far this year, he's got two top 12 finishes. So he's been startable as a quarterback, despite the fact that he was left for dead by a lot of people. I mean, the smart people were still picking him up because it was hard to deny Tom Brady when you're looking at Chris Godwin, you know, Mike Evans, OJ Howard, Rob Gronkowski. By the way, Gronkowski woke the fuck up, which was surprising. I didn't think that was going to happen because I also thought he was left for dead. Can I um, uh, but, just on the, yeah, on, the on the Gronk subject? Did yeah. you guys see that that video of him talking about going to uh, it was like some amusement park or something? Someone like made a video of Gronk. It was in a press conference and it's like if CTE were a person and it was like a clip of Gronk through the thing. Oh, no. And it's like the funniest shit. It's like a 10 second. Clip. I haven't seen it. I'm going to send it to you guys on Twitter it. DMs and I'll throw it like down below in the description yeah. or whatever. I can't yeah. stop watching it. He just looks like a, a like more of a psycho than than Gronk usually looks in in some of these press conferences, man. It's it's the funniest shit ever. But I'm glad I'm glad he's kind of back. I guess he's probably back until he's not right. Yeah, and I think the Gronk is like a perfect like I don't know like a, like a metaphor for this Buccaneers team. He was the guy that oh my god Gronk's out of retirement. He's linked back up with Brady. It's fucking wheels up. Top five tight end is locked in, and it's through three weeks anyways. It's been anything but. Um, again, I think it's just the off. We kind of find ourselves, you know, building these narratives and telling ourselves these stories. And, uh, yeah, Gronk seemed uh, – he, he certainly looks like a mirage right now. What? Okay, tell me this, Nick. We had a game the other night, This uh, the Chiefs and the uh, uh, Ravens. Is there anything that we learned at all in this game? I mean, is there anything to take away from this game whatsoever? <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that game – that game was uh, was last night, and I guess we're filming this Wednesday. And uh, we did like a live stream on YouTube for it. I had some of my friends come over to my apartment. We had like a little drinking game up, and uh, one of the one of the drinking games was like you know uh, drink every time a useless player scores a touchdown. And you know, <laughs> naturally, we ended up pretty drunk by the end of the night because of shit like that. that. Yeah, but Eric Fisher fucked you up in those games. Like in, yeah, in the boy. prime time games, you know, there's always weird shit that happens like that. I think you have to expect it. People, you know, the most fascinating thing about like Twitter and fantasy football, Twitter especially, is every time Lamar gets on primetime against a good defense, he has a lot of egregious throws. Like that happens way more often than we want to admit. He's an awesome quarterback, but he does that pretty routinely when we're all watching. And every time everyone gets re-shocked again. But like, He's fine. He's still Lamar Jackson. Like that's what he does. Like his his receivers did him no help. I think between Andrews and uh, Hollywood, they were credited with five drops together. So yeah. his stat line would be a lot better. They'd had a lot more time of possession if they didn't drop those things. So uh, the KC defensive line looked fucking awesome, by the way, too. Like the Ravens up front could not handle them. And when they, I mean, they they started off against like haymaker after haymaker in terms of their schedule. When they start going up against like lighter fronts, man. I don't even know what they're going to have to do on offense for KC because the defense is going to chew up opposing offenses. So I think that was another problem for for Lamar. Maybe their O-line is just not, you know, losing Yonda, losing some of the pieces. Like, maybe they're not as good up front as they were. But, like, again, this this outcome really wasn't surprising, and I'm, I'm so shocked that it keeps re-surprising people. Yeah, I guess my, my three big takeaways were that definitely the, the, the Chiefs defense looked fucking legit. And we're not going to sit here and talk about the fucking defense. But, I mean, just knowing that they have Mahomes on the other side of the ball, like the Chiefs look ready to just run again. 
Um, Mark Andrews, like Nick said, dude, you dropped a touchdown. Yeah. Like his his box score and the the, the the game itself would have been completely different if he just could hold on to a couple balls, let alone a touchdown ball. The, the other one, and I don't, I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit here. Uh, J.K. Dobbins has to be more involved. Like the dude, all he does is have like these explosive like a player to a game. And then he's just kind of for, forgotten about for a quarter or two or three. Like, he, I, I don't know if the Ravens are – they weren't expecting him to, to – you know, th- we heard this offseason about how involved he's going to be and how excited they were for him. And, again, I know it's early. It's only three th- three games in. But, I mean, like, it just feels like it's it makes no sense that he's not on the field more and contributing more because I think he, he can just – he can do so much for this offense. Nate, am, am I, like – unnaturally high on, on on jk dobbins or is that like is that a proper take no i think that after we went through all of our dynasty drafts i know at least me personally i don't know where nick was on him or or you ryan but dobbins was number three to me um i had clyde edwards at number one jonathan taylor at number two you can flip flop those either way you want get off my back already we don't have to do then, that argument today don't worry <laughs> yeah please don't okay. please don't yeah god i know i just don't have the energy uh and then J.K. Dobbins for me was number three going to Baltimore. Um, that the the running back historically in the Baltimore offense has been such an exceptional contributor. And we looked at, at Dobbins' skill set and we thought, hey, he's going to be great in this offense. Some people knocked his pass catching prowess, and we've seen him thus far as he's been in the league for a couple games here, and he's actually looked pretty good in that role. But the touches have been super low. And again, I think this is a case where. This is an offense. The run game pretty much funnels through Lamar Jackson. He's averaging almost 11 per game. The next closest back is Mark Ingram. He's averaging eight and a half. So I think they want to put their veteran players in front. That's why we're seeing more Gus Edwards, who's been decent. Bro, and Mark Ingram. We're going to act like Gus wasn't the best running back on the field last night. Okay. Dude, I've seen so agree. much fucking Gus propaganda today. I can't take it. Let let Dobbins cook, boys. Let him cook. Let him cook at the expense of Ingram, though. Ingram looks like Ingram looks like Todd Gurley fucking chopped his leg off. Yeah, Ingram Ingram looks like like a like a non-factor for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's I mean that's pretty much the deal when you look at these offenses. And Dobbins' time is going to come. I mean, different than Cam Akers. Uh, you know, and Akers got hurt. There hasn't been as much competition. We know that Gus Edwards is not competition, who also was a free agent at the end of this year. We know that Mark Ingram is getting older and he's going to get passed by J.K. Dobbins at some point. So I'm not afraid of Dobbins situation whatsoever. And on the on the point of Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson has been so fucking good at the NFL level. It's ridiculous. So even if there's some inaccuracy in his past game, which is something that people thought he would never fix coming out of college. I mean, there were a couple guys who were admittedly on him. You look at his rookie year, not the highest completion percentage of all time. He's turned into such a dynamic threat at quarterback. I mean, it's just no question. He's always going to be in that top three quarterback conversation. Patrick Mahomes did kind of what we expected him to do. I mean, he can carve anybody up at any moment. But what was crazy was watching them just dial it the fuck up because – in the broadcast, I forgot who it was that said it. Was it Riddick? Maybe he was talking about how they don't care down in distance. They just want another they shot don't, at bro. bombing it down the field. That right? that makes so much sense when you like if you've never heard that and then you think about they they were honestly like their play calling was so disrespectful last night. Like they uh, they totally, were just yes. they were just running fucking trick plays and like doing really crazy crazy things and it just works. Like it, it, it's so yeah. much fun to watch them make things happen on offense. But like back to Dobbins, man. If we all like it, the entire thing this offseason, 
you could let you could have Dobbins at running back too. Your analysis would have been like it's going to take him some time to get the role here. So again, I don't know why everybody's acting re surprised that exactly what we thought was going to happen is happening. You know what I mean? Like, of course we want to see Dobbins with twenty touches a game, but like that's just it's not realistic. So temper your expectations for it. He's still a great running back and he's still in a great offensive situation, but that's just not their game plan right now. So, and I mean, and on the topic of Andy Reid, the play calling, the total disrespect, I mean, they were basically like heat checking. I mean, Nick, I don't know if you've ever been so hot in a basketball game that you just came down the court and just threw one up because you're like, fuck it, I'm so hot, it's probably going in. You just got to check. You know, he usually misses, but the point is I don't know if you were going to parlay that into like like a basketball story of your own where you were just (laughs) incredibly warm on the court. I was waiting for it, yeah. Yeah, no, there's not a lot of Yeah, I didn't know know there was another way to play basketball, to be honest. (laughs) Just just to (laughs) be a heater. Right, yeah. My my people don't stand out on the basketball court very well. So, (laughs) but what about Miko Hardman? I mean, we've been talking about the potential of a breakout. There was questions about whether it was going to happen with Sammy Watkins coming back for this year. Uh, you know, Tyreek Hill's role, the obvious role of Travis Kelsey, and then the addition of Clyde Edwards. But me, Coleman, he slings it down the field. He's he's down there making big plays, catches it for a touchdown in this game. Was that just kind of what you expected from him, that we're going to get that sort of variance every other week, every few weeks? Or do you think that there could be more here? Nah, this changes nothing for me, to be honest. He's still, he was still fourth in snaps, still fourth behind Robinson, Watkins, and Hill, man. It's just... That was that was what I was a little bit nervous about in the summer, people projecting the upside. But we didn't hear anything during the summer that like, oh, he's surpassed Watkins or he's surpassed Robinson. And then we go out there in the first game and he's running as the four. Second game, he's running as the four. This game, he puts up a big touchdown on primetime TV. We get excited about it. You look at the real numbers behind the box score, still running as the four, man. So until we see like factual evidence that he's no longer the wide receiver four, there's just no way you can trust him. Yeah, and it, it it was it was obviously very easy to tell yourself a story that right. you know Hardman was going to break out between the speed, the offense, and just you know the draft position and knowing you know knowing what he could do just with the speed alone. You know, it, very easy to fall in love, especially where he was going off the boards. But as Nick said, the reality is he hasn't managed to work himself back up that 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 totem this pole is, yet. This Whether is you know, Kelsey. This is a situation <laughs> where like preseason would have done this would have let us know exactly Mm. where we were at right because this is where like snap counts in the preseason when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The ones would have told us that he's a 30% snap guy. And then you have the actual, you know, tangible evidence rather than just projecting him to overtake uh, one of those guys as a starter. But that's, you know, that's what made this summer with COVID and not having training camp and preseason difficult for those those tweaker, borderline, high upside kind of guys. We just we don't know what their role is going to be. 
Yeah. Nate, is this someone that is still, again, given given the speed, given where he plays, is this someone that you're still looking to acquire in Dynasty? Someone that is at all on your radar? Is the asking price still too high? It's it's tough, man. Uh, Kansas City just feels like we kind of know who they are and we know who this offense is. As long as Kelsey is healthy, as long as Tyreek is healthy, uh, what they're going to do with Clyde Edwards. Um, I don't know. I just think that with... With Miko, you're probably waiting on a bomb, right? I, I just don't know that he's going to be the possession receiver in this offense. It's clearly funneled through Travis Kelsey forever. Robinson's been actually decent when given some opportunities, so it's really hard to say how they're going to use him in the offense. I'm not actively seeking him out that much anymore. I was kind of high on him when he was a second-round pick. He's got the speed. Felt like this one-two option with Tyreek Hill, but to Nick's point, I don't think that if we had seen a preseason, that's sort of what we would have gleaned in, you know, as far as the information. So... Um, I'm a little lower on him at this point. I think with a Tyreek Hill injury, it may give him more of an opportunity for emergence. But uh, I still think that if anything, you're a year away. Watkins has to go away. And even then, the question is, do they even rotate more to Miko Hardman? I just I don't know. I, I don't think so. But here's what I'm not surprised by. I refuse to be surprised by this because the breakout finder was very high on this guy. Okay, The breakout finder was high on Chenault. Breakout finder was high on Brian Edwards. Breakout finder was fucking high on T. Higgins. T. Higgins had a 51.3, which is an incredibly high score in the breakout finder. Breakout finder app, look in all the stores. It's there. As well as he had a massive teammate score coming from the college that he came from. He has passed A.J. Green. That's, that is absolutely my belief as well. It seems like that's Ryan's belief based on the question. Nick. T. Higgins. Are you high on T. Higgins? Is the future bright for T. Higgins? He was the first pick of the second round. The Bengals had all night to think about it. They came back. They took him. What's the future? Uh, I, I'm, I'm admittedly not, uh, not high on T. Higgins. Here we go. I'm Here we go. <laughs> okay. This, I, I don't really have a good take for it. He was just one of the dudes I watched. You know, I, this was like a film part of me when I have to, when I have to familiarize myself with. Uh, with the new incoming crop of rookies, what I'll do is I'll start listening to your guys' podcasts who are covering Dynasty year-round and who have covered these guys for a while, and I'll hear the names, and I won't be able to put a you know start really understanding them until I watch them play. So I started watching D. Higgins. I was just I don't know. I was kind of wildly unimpressed by what he's doing. I also don't think that he's above AJ Green right now uh, for the, this season at least. He's definitely the future of that passing game, and I'm I'm kind of going to combine a few questions here because they go together. I just sold T Higgins in a dynasty league. I also mm -hmm. sold, uh, so I, I sold T Higgins. I guess he's like the number one goal line, uh, option there. Right. Cause I sold Joe Mixon as well. And I'm really happy to ship Ooh. his ass off. So I, I sold Mixon, <laughs> I sold Higgins and I sold Terry McLaurin. So we had a mixed bag of guys that I sold there. What the I McLaurin stuff must have cut you, man. You, you, you love McLaurin. It hurt. Literally, right? It hurt. We deep. know you love McLaurin. It hurt deep until you hear what I got on the receiving side. Okay. What do we got? Christian McCaffrey. Okay. Curtis Samuel and a third. Oh. Mm. So okay. I'm, listen, anytime you get McCaffrey back, man, the, like there you go. That's all I needed to hear. The, the th like, okay, T Higgins, I, I'm I'm willing. I also made the trade prior to this weekend, prior to him scoring the two tugs. So obviously, this looks a lot of way worse now doing it. But uh, I am I am I'm probably going to be on the wrong side of history when it comes to Higgins. We'll we'll just put it that way because he looked very good on Sunday. The the knock and Nate, feel free to, to pile on here. The knock on Higgins was was there was questions about the athletic ability. You know, there was there was the big buildup to the combine and I believe he ended up 
I don't know if I don't remember if he actually got hurt or if he just ended up just opting out, which I guess not getting hurt and straight up opting out raises a lot more flags, maybe just to draft Twitter or maybe, you know, to, to front offices in general. Um, certainly not the Bengals. He was the 201. Uh, so the Bengals liked him enough to, to give him an early day two look. Um, and last week, man, nine, nine targets. Again, it's early in the season. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, and we can talk about it a little bit here if we want. I think it's further down the show. T. Higgins getting inserted. A.J. Green may or may not get be getting jumped here, but John Ross, a healthy scratch. It seems like there's certainly musical chairs going on. Joe Burrow, I think the future's bright. Maybe they want to get him linked up and a lot more comfortable and familiar with Higgins in these live game situations right now and they're going to kind of, you know, let both these guys out of the gates at the same time. Uh, so, I, again, I think I might have been – higher certainly it sounds like a little bit higher on higgins than than nick was but um i don't want to get too far ahead of myself here because i still am such an aj green fan although i i just don't think he is the same player given the injuries and given kind of what the Bengals have shown us through three weeks and what they want to do with perhaps other players uh nato man is this a situation where if nick's selling higgins are you going to be on the other end looking to buy higgins at this point yeah, I'm, I'm, listen, man. I I have to contractually, uh, you know, sell my soul <laughs> right. to back the, the breakout the brand. I have yeah. no choice. Okay, I admit that to the audience. I have no choice. But, you know, T Higgins, uh, the you know the the pro day testing, the holdout at the combine, all these things kind of went against him. We've heard people talk about in the past that speed is somewhat overrated at the wide receiver position, which is true if you look at fantasy producers overall and you look at that overall speed oftentimes. A lot of these guys are not 4-4 guys that are finishing highly. But T. Higgins looks nuanced. He looked good on the field in this last game. He had a couple of catches that looked big time. So I think him and Joe Burrow with the rapport that's going to be built over time is is going to be something that's certainly going to change people's opinions and sort of open their eyes. I mean, this was probably the first of many games where T. Higgins is going to erupt. This was his first game, 88, you know, second game, but 88.7% snap share, his highest snap share of the season. Um, so I look forward to him playing well going forward. Again, the first pick on day two is meaningful. They could have traded the pick. They could have done anything else with the pick. They could have had a multitude of wide receivers. They went with Higgins. They had Burrow. I think the combination is going to be electric in the future. And, uh, Nick, I think in the future, you're not going to regret that trade. Yeah, you, I, I, yeah, I think I'm fine getting C-Mac. I'm, yeah, I'm okay yeah. with it. But I think T. You Higgins, the, the reason – I didn't necessarily have a problem with him as a player. I just – my comp for him, like the ceiling I saw for Higgins was more like Mike Williams-esque. And I'm just like, if I'm going to have a first-round pick in a dynasty draft, like I'd rather take a guy that I you know, personally believe has a higher ceiling than that. So he, he fell to me, so I got him at like the 204, the 205, and I was obviously fine taking him there. But if I was at like the 111, I, I would have preferred a, a handful of other receivers there. I just I don't know if he's going to be like that true uh, elite number one. And guys that aren't like top 15-ish wide receivers just don't really like move the needle in fantasy football. So let me ask you a question then. Is your is your biggest reason for not really fully buying into T. Higgins his athleticism? I mean, if he was a De okay, so let me ask you this: Denzel Mims, T. Higgins. Which of these two players do you prefer prior to coming into the? I mean, after they landed in their locations, which player? Um, I would have taken Mims straight up if this was prior to like the summer injuries. Yeah, I would have taken. Okay. Yeah. It, now, how much of that has to do with athleticism? So, okay, so going back to like me watching the film, like I remember our first Dynasty show I did in, in like March or April on my channel. One of the first things I said was like, 
Denzel Mims is going to be what everybody wants T. Higgins to be. They reminded me of each other, but Denzel Mims just, when I watched him, he was just like way more explosive, so much more, not just like looking at player profile athletics. Like on the field when I watched him, I was like, yo, this dude is like, you know, wiry and, and he could move really well. His agility was great. And he was just moving like I didn't see T. Higgins move. And I'm just like, he has an extra gear to his game that I, I never felt that I got from T. Higgins. Right. No, and I mean, I think that's fair. And I think that that's, that's probably a, a pretty fair comp, I mean, between the two players in terms of, of size and skill set. But, you know, when Kelly, uh, Kelly had talked about going to the Senior Bowl and how Mims had truly stood out. And there's been a lot of players that have gone to the Senior Bowl, stood out there and been a success in the future. And this is another one of those players uh, that you just cannot give up on. Yeah. Um, and I'm still really high on Mims, even though that offense is trash. Uh, recently brought this up as well. Again, did a Patreon show, patreon.com forward slash I'm outrage. Talked about Denzel Mims and the potential that when he does come back, he could he could certainly pace every other rookie wide receiver in targets from this point till the end of the season. And I don't think that's crazy because there is no other options playing for the Jets. So he's a guy that I would like to get my hands on in Dynasty because he hasn't had an opportunity to pop yet. So that's another name to monitor, but I love Christian McCaffrey over everything. <laughs> Here's someone that everybody absolutely fucking hates, Nick. People hate Carson Wentz. Do you hate Carson Wentz? Uh, dude, this is such a tricky situation because it's really e – like when you watch him, you're just like, yo, what is happening in Philadelphia? Not good, yeah, but, not good. But we also – the way I'm looking at this is like what's the common denominator here? Like we've seen Wentz be really good, and we've seen Wentz be bad – and when he's bad, like what, what's going on? Like the entire team is decimated. So before I give up on him, this is what I'm, I, I'm going to need to see things at full strength and him be bad. That that's how we've seen enough good from him that I'm going to need to ensure myself and let myself know that he is in fact bad when he's surrounded by good parts again. And I think a lot, in, in fairness to, to Wentz, who I think a lot of people, I, I know last season was the big, there was a big MVP push for, for, for Wentz in the offseason. And this this past offseason, a little bit less so, but still a lot of people very, very high on him, especially when the Eagles went out and landed someone like Jalen Rieger early on, who again, unfortunately, is is hurt. But I think in fairness to Wentz, you know, you watch a lot of these games through three weeks now. Dude is just running for his life. The offensive line is obviously banged up. Um, and I think, uh, and again, how don't mean to keep jumping ahead here and parlaying these questions like this, but I think this benefits, you know, someone like Miles Sanders greatly, who looks like he's just going to get up and running. Wentz is going to have to rely heavily, heavily, heavily on Miles Sanders and what he does as a pass catcher, as a runner. Um, you know, I think last, last week, Miles Sanders had some pretty naughty, you know, pass, pass protections too. So just, just overall what Miles Sanders brings to the table should hopefully offset some of Wentz's shortcomings or just, you know, what the offensive line isn't able to do. And I guess the offensive line in turn could kind of work against Miles Sanders as well. Um, so a lot, a lot to monitor there. And, and it just sucks because there was, you know, going back to these rookies and the expectations for someone like Jalen Rieger, who unfortunately is banged up. Uh, just Philadelphia is a mess, man. It's, it's, it's tough to really tether yourself to any one person that isn't probably Miles Sanders right now. Yeah. So, Nick, let me ask you this question. The, so, Philly's 0-2 with a tie, right? And if this persists, the offensive line is what it is. The injuries to the outside. Goddard recently hurt. Rager's been hurt. Alshon Jeffrey, MIA. All these, all these weapons are gone. If this team is, if this team is three and six, three and five, this at some a, this point, this is a Hurts question, isn't it? 
this this is a Hurts question. And if Carson Wentz is truly still what they believe is the guy, does Jalen Hurts step on the field and do they give him an opportunity? And if he plays well, despite the exact same conditions that Carson Wentz could not succeed under, what could that do in the future? I can't imagine. I I I don't think Jalen Hurts steps on the field this year. I can't imagine that happening. Like Doug Peterson, very very questionable decisions being made right now. But he also is right there, and he's able to put context behind what's happening to Carson Wentz right now. Uh, I don't think you want to throw a rookie who's probably not ready to be in the NFL into that situation. Who's going to be running for his life without weapons? Like that's how you ruin a young quarterback pretty quickly. And I, I feel like he's a better coach than that. So Wentz will probably continue to struggle given the fact that his line is completely another thing of like people being surprised. Like we look back at last year and we're like, yeah, like of course he struggled. Look at his weapons, look at all the injuries that happened to. And it's worse this year. And now we're like, whoa, like he's really bad. But it's like we're gonna react surprised again when this ha- when all this shit happens again. So my my thing is I, I don't believe that he does if he does, it's because he's struggling really bad in the first half of the game. Maybe they just put Jalen Wentz in for the second half. And then I think the next week they'll roll Wentz back uh, back out as a starter again. But I see no way that that straight up Jalen Hurts takes over the starting job for like the last six games of the season. Listen, Ryan, I'm turning to you because that was that was more vanilla than I expected. Ryan, where's the spice? <laughs> is, is he going to step in and take this job? Truth hurts, baby. Uh, yeah, Hurts. <laughs> uh, the the spice for me, I had I had Hurts as quarterback two in dynasty above herbert i believe so that's 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 where my spice came from i i loved hurts again it's the you know i fall in love you know rich rich rebar man at night calls me up and just whispers all the sweet konami code nothings in my ear you know what i mean so i obviously fell in love with hurts what he does on the ground and just he's one of those guys that doesn't really matter for fantasy football but just those character guys you know just those high character all those intangibles all that shit love all that stuff love hurts i think if things go off the rails here this offensive line you know puts wentz in some sort of predicament where he does get banged up again you know you can see hurts for sure get inserted um you know maybe sooner than a lot of us would have thought i want to i want to tie this back into i brought up john ross earlier it feels like the eagles flipping like a fourth or a fifth or a six for john ross just makes sense or, or someone i want someone to make a trade for john ross is that am i am i asking a lot here i just feel like john ross and i'm going completely off the wentz fucking wagon right now but john ross on his second team boys has to be a lot better than what we've seen right now in cincinnati and maybe i'm again maybe i'm just the john a hopeless john ross truther i think you might be uh you know to this you don't like john ross at all I like John Ross. Listen, I like John Ross a little bit coming into the league. Admittedly, his college profile was a little strange for me. Looking back at it and the hype that he was garnering, obviously great athlete, super fast. Fast guys haven't always translated to being a success at the NFL level. We've seen a lot of fast guys get drafted early in the NFL draft and not play well. The other thing about John Ross is the one game that I loved is when he shredded the living fuck out of Seattle. Okay, <laughs> that was the one game where he came in. And he was that like last year, like week two or yeah. week three or something. Or uh, it, was. it was week one. Week one. Yeah, Beautiful. seven for 158 and two touchdowns. So I was like, yeah. holy fuck, I this guy's about to do up. it. Yeah. He's about to do how about, it. How about him in Seattle but prior to them getting DK? That would have been a nice fucking pairing. Or even as like a what? slot receiver. That'd be that'd Kinda be nice right now. Coming home. There's so many teams that make sense for him, man. A healthy scratch last week. That 
boys, that really kind of when you really kind of when you wrote that out. on the show sheet, I saw that John Ross, a healthy scratch at my uh, I actually I wrote a response to it on the show sheet. And I was going to say, I uh, I wish this question was a healthy scratch off the show sheet. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to fucking deliver that because I was it not bother me, man. I was not about to, <laughs> I see that you're bothered about John Ross. I'm, I'm upset by I, it. I love it. I'm going to go ahead and put the strike through it for you, Ryan. Actually, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to do it. It's somewhere over here. Done. So, Beautiful. okay, listen, let's, let's move on. Let's go to a more, let's go to a more dire situation. Fantasy owners, more specifically dynasty owners don't know what to do. Okay. They drafted Joe Mixon in their rookie drafts. They were told they were getting a certified stud. Okay. They were told they were getting a certified stud. Now, by all accounts, Joe Mixon is very, very good, but the situation, the situation around him has not always been so good. This year, more upgraded weapons, left tackle comes back, new quarterback, wide receiver weapons. Tell me this. Should we be afraid of owning Joe Mixon? You just sold him, right? I, w- I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to get him off my team, to be honest. Wow. Here's a th- like, wow. like people get so people get so butthurt when you say to sell Mixon as if I'm butthurt right now, you sold him. No one's telling you that he's a bad running back, but everyone jumped the gun on the Cincinnati offense as if they don't have a shit offensive line. Is it where did Geo's still there? And like they're all they did this all last off. This was a point I made all summer, man. Like Mixon played in multiple more games last year than he did the year prior and saw his target total go down by ten. Because Geo took all the two-minute drills. He took all the four-minute drills. He's in, And those things add up at the end of the season. That's the difference between like a 37-catch running back and a 57-catch running back. And the difference between a low-end RB1 and a higher. And like, listen, he's going to have his, you know, 20 for 120 in a touchdown game eventually. And people are going to get excited about it. But like... How many how many times can we run this this thing back right now? And and the reason I sold Mixon is literally because you're still getting Joe Mixon value. Like I got fucking C Mac yeah. for him. Like yeah. that's why I'm like, yo, get him off now until people need nine more weeks to realize that Geo is always going to be a thing in this offense. And I, I will say again, I am certainly on. And Nate and I have talked about Joe Mixon. What seems like every single show he he, he comes up, and I yeah. I certainly am, and I certainly am very high on Joe Mixon. And I. I Every week, every you know, every after every Sunday game here, you know, Evan Silva throw, throws up a tweet where he has his little, his little takeaways, and, and no matter what, these past three weeks, he's he's had a he's had a buy Joe Mixon tweet, which is just this is such it, a it's problem, got, it's bro. It's got me hanging on. It, it, it's terrible, man. People do it every year. It's like if you're too slow, Mixon's value is going to keep dropping to that like RB two status, and and that's yeah. you know, that's like. The big thing. I was so concerned after week one. I was like, bro, this is what we're going to continue to fuck. It, if week one, he didn't come out and that wasn't part of the game plan where he was going to get like six receptions or some shit. It wasn't going to happen. And we're seeing it. We're through three weeks now. Do we need to see another three weeks to believe it? I, I just don't get it. And, and I will say that, you know, Geo taking pass game work, I, I really didn't think it would be to this extent this early in the season, given, again, as Nate said, what Mixon was billed to be. Um, at the same time, we know that the whole front office, that whole coaching staff, they just they, they gravitate towards Geo. My man grew the, the fucking stash for, 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 for the games this year, man. He, he's super, super serious. What really did kind of have me and my fandom kind of taking a step back is when Geo, I think it was last week, got like the goal line look or look over Joe Mixon like to me that was like either Mixon's hobbled or they just they just don't trust him for for whatever the reason that like that to me is more you know inexcusable unexplainable than Geo getting the pass game look so I don't know Nate maybe maybe Nick is is smart to be ahead of this thing but my 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 fandom just won't quite let me let go at this point I mean 
Nick Nick being ahead of this is not just a, ahead of it necessarily because he's saying the right thing and, and it, it's not substantiated. I mean, he's right. Like, Cincinnati's offensive line fucking sucks. <laughs> They've got a rookie at quarterback. A.J. Green hasn't necessarily been 100%. You know, there's been uh, tight end questions. And so this backfield is necessarily struggling along with the rest of this team. And yeah, they're facing some of the tougher competition in the league. Joe Mixon just signed an extension. We thought that was great news. That was for dynasty owners, signing an extension is a great thing for these running backs to add value. The thing is, Cincinnati added no other running backs to this roster. And there's nobody of competition other than Geo on this depth chart, which is fucked up because Geo's really stealing a lot of work. And it is concerning. I've had a couple people talk to me about what should I do with Joe Mixon, thinking about trading him for a wide receiver. And I'm like, wait, don't fucking trade Joe Mixon for a wide receiver. I'm not doing that. If I'm moving Mixon, I'm going to do exactly what Nick did. Let me buy my way into another running. I was back, trying to Derek Henry. Yeah, I was trying to trade him for a while. I was trying to trade him like pretty much all summer, but the, the right offer did not like I'm not getting rid of him just for the sake of getting rid of him. I'm getting rid of him because you could still get Joe Mixon name value for Joe Mixon. So I was like, when the right offer comes, like I'm accepting it, right? The contract was like, it gave me hope. I was like, oh, okay, I own Mixon. Like yeah. maybe now they gave him the contract, they use him a little differently. Week one came and I'm like, nah, same fucking shit. Like he's out. Yeah, if it's if it's possible to flip him for something, you know, and I don't even know because you look at a lot of these running backs, it would be hard to get him. Your trade, obviously a really good trade to pull off. If somebody's low on Dobbins right now, um, Akers, you know, obviously Derek Henry, somebody that I would love to get on my roster if it was possible to make a deal. Uh, but Joe Mixon, there are better days ahead with Mixon, but the problem is you can't predict them. You don't know when they are. You don't know when Gio's going to get heavily involved in the passing game. We talked about this two weeks ago. Mixon had four big catches in a row, and then they never went back to him again, but they targeted Gio Bernard seven times consecutively by the end of the game. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? We know that Mixon is a capable pass catcher. A capable pass catcher. Why is he not being used more? And we're just racking our fucking brains. So I guess Nick is right. Rather than go through the headache every week, if you can get a deal that's worth it, then you'll move Mixon. But again, I'm not moving him if I'm not getting a running back of value in return. I don't know if Jarek McKinnon would be the running back that I would be <laughs> seeking, but what about Jarek McKinnon and his projections moving forward this year in San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's looked fantastic. He looked fantastic. I don't, I don't think the rib injury that he sustained was... Uh, anything serious, I think he'll be able to suit up as, as early as next week. Um, so he he seems to have that like lead role pretty cemented uh, if it's just him and Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson took like only garbage time work. So if you're looking at the fantasy numbers, I'm not too concerned about that being a real committee. The problem is like Mostert is the real fucking deal when he's on the field. Like he's really, mm -hmm. really, really good. And he wasn't a guy I was targeting at all this year. And, and, and one of the reasons were like when you target dudes – who don't have a big sample size, you don't know if they could hold up over the rigors of an NFL season. And so while yes, he's looked great, like that's another problem with drafting guys like Moser is we don't we don't know if they can withstand it and and he didn't, but he will be back soon. Like I don't think the MCL sprain he's had is is serious. I think uh Joe Mixon had one last year. He was back in about two weeks. So Mostert should be back. And if Mostert's on the field, he's the best running back on the field. And that's the way I'm looking at it. So I I like McKinnon and I like what he brings to the field and he can absolutely be a usable piece as a flex play just because the the Niners backfield is all they do is spurn out flex plays and, and running backs that you could use in your lineup uh, but I'm, I'm I would if you're going to ask me right now who I'd rather own rest of season even if Mostert misses another week it's Mostert are you 
potentially suggesting teeing up, you know, maybe maybe if you own McKinnon Dynasty, is this a good time to potentially sell high? Is there was there any do you think there's gonna be a market that develops for him off of just name value and knowing that he's a San Francisco running back? Um McKinnon seems like an emotional piece. Like no matter how you have him on your team, like you either held on to him for years and you finally got some value from him. So if I have him, I'm probably going to hold and just see what comes of it. And maybe I'll have like a nice piece to throw into my lineup week in and week out. Um, I'm, I'm not someone who really, I, I know people in dynasty trade like all the time. And we were just talking about one of my trades, but I think like buy low, sell high and et cetera, et cetera, get thrown around like so often in dynasty. I'm not always mm-hmm. looking to move pieces just for the sake of, of this guy's value just went up a little bit. So McKinnon falls into the category where I'll hold on to him and, and hopefully he can make some good starts. And, and um, I mean, if I'm not competing whatsoever, yeah, maybe I'll try to chip him off for like a, a mid second or even like a late second if I need to, to, uh, yeah. to a competitor. Yeah. And again, the, the question for McKinnon, at least during his time in San Francisco after collecting the bag, has always just been health and it's just his availability. So as long as he got that on his side, that is certainly a step in the right direction. But I do tend to agree that when and it, you know whenever that time is when Mostert is able to carry the load again, it just feels like that is who Shanahan likely has the most trust in. He, we've seen him be this explosive piece, and he was someone that wasn't on a fade list for me, but he was someone that I was happy to not really have much of in season long and not someone I was actively drafting, which before he got banged up looked like a pretty, pretty big mistake. So he, he certainly is the real deal. And I wouldn't be surprised if San Francisco, again, when he is healthy, they just revert right back to letting Mostert get all the work. No, I agree. There's not much to add to that. I will say that I've speculated uh, throughout the year here that Jarek McKinnon's going to end up behind Saquon Barkley in New York next year. Just mark Ooh, my words. I'm just good, saying it early. Call. I like that. That's my expectation right there. Especially with, you know, Deion Lewis, Devonta Freeman being gone, sort of the, the injury to Barkley and, and putting a semi-explosive, not semi, but putting a really explosive player behind him to pair with Barkley's explosiveness. So just watch that happen. He's going to New York next year. So all right, let's let's move on from this question. Let's move to an even more fantastic running back. Let's talk about Miles Sanders. And is he about to be the bell cow that everybody's been waiting for? Is it coming? Yeah, Nick? it it should have already happened. Like it it it, <laughs> it like has happened, but it hasn't really happened yet. Right now he's I mean he's only played two games, but he's third in the NFL in opportunities per game. 26 and a half opportunities per game. It's behind Derrick Henry and it's behind Josh Jacobs. End of list. Then it is Miles Sanders. So as far as I'm concerned, like he's done it. He just has like uh, whatever the case may be, Wentz missing him on the 50-yard walk-in touchdown. He, he He's everything you're looking for in a fantasy back. It just hasn't actually been put on paper yet. So yeah, like Miles Sanders, I, I think I was all in on him this summer. I actually just moved. Um, I have Saquon in one of my dynasty leagues, and I was 2-0, and I'm like, I want to compete this year. So I moved Saquon for um, Debo and Miles Sanders. So I, yeah, I had to. That's a haul. Yeah, I had to. I, I, I had thought to it was a good throw in there. Uh, yeah, I had, I had to shoehorn a Sanders question in there because I think Nick, you and I were going back and forth early this offseason, and you might have been the only person that had him, not even just higher than me, but just like like notably higher than me, uh, like like several spots ahead of where I and I thought I had like an aggressive Sanders ranking. So uh, yeah, I think I think like we talked about before, given the Wentz situation, the offensive line situation, what the situation of the pass catchers are in, in Philadelphia, this seems to be. Things are things are setting up very very nicely for Miles Sanders, and he's someone that, like like Nate was saying, it. If I'm if I'm moving a big name running back, I want to get Miles. I want to get someone like Miles Sanders back, and then you know depending on who you're moving, and then some, 
or I'd be very happy to get Miles Sanders back, you know, kind of kind of as, as a solo piece, someone that I'm aggressively, aggressively targeting. Um, I just think he's going to he's going he's gonna to fully insert himself, you know, very, very soon. And certainly by the end of the season as that, you know, true bell cow type type running back. If you could get Miles Sanders back in a trade, I mean, I, I've pretty much advocated against selling Saquon Barkley. There's just not really an equitable trade out there. I think people are are just actively trying to screw you over on deals like, oh, well, I don't know if he's going to be the same player next it year. D- it didn't feel yep. good. It d- definitely didn't feel good getting Saquon off the team. But I was like, like I play fantasy for fun. I'm not trying to just tank the rest of my sure. season away, you know? Sure. No, I, and I respect that. And I think th- this is what Kelly and I talked about on the last podcast. There are people exactly with the same mindset as you. Like, I know Saquon's elite. I know this is dynasty, but I want to compete this year. So I'm willing to make a deal. And there's guys like me that I have Saquon. I'm like, fuck it. The whole ship's going down. I'm going <laughs> yeah. down with it. Tank the year, week three. I don't care. But so I think that there, you need to test the waters in your leagues and see what you can get. But if you could get Miles Sanders plus exactly a, a high end wide receiver or somebody, that's with a why, lot of yeah. Upside. Like I was offered Miles for Barkley straight up first, and I was like, no. Like I understand what I have yeah. in Saquon, so you have to put like a very good deal on the table for me to to, to part ways with Saquon. But that was more than enough for me to pull the trigger on. Yeah, no, that that's good. I, a lot of people are struggling right now. I see a lot of people that continuously bring this topic up, and you know, you you don't have to move on from guys. But to Nick's point, if you don't have the depth and you want to be competitive. Sometimes you have to break that. You have to break that high end piece and, and you know turn it into multiple pieces. Okay, Ryan, explain this question. Explain <laughs> this question to me. You you read this one. Are we are we talking about Benjamin Snell here, yeah, NATO? The Benjamin Snell. <laughs> what? So again, we I've I've brought up a couple of topics that I've seen floating on the timeline recently, and there's been a lot of you know we had week one where James Conner I believe got dinged up or relegated whatever it was, and Benny Snell had a pretty decent outing and. It was a lot of hullabaloo, boys. You know, was is this is this really is is Benny Snell gonna <laughs> jump James Conner? Is James Conner not long for Pittsburgh? And that obviously very quickly died down. I think last week Snell looked like the third best back on the team, um, and up to this point he was uh, he was you know someone that I you know I was talking to Nate I think maybe offline uh, you know if if I had to delete some tweets I would have to find <laughs> all my Benjamin Snell tweets because I. I absolutely roasted Benjamin Stell. He's a player that I had no faith in coming out. And, um, you know, super, super sharp guys like Sean Siegel have been all over Benjamin Snell through his entirety in the league. So I was like, man, I'm probably on the wrong side of this thing. But I say all that to say through week three, he just looks bad. He just looks like Benjamin Snell has always looked. Nick, I want to know, is am, am I in the clear? Can I, can I continue to get these tweets off? Can I continue the Benjamin Snell slander as you would continue Leonard Fournette slander? <laughs> Listen, the way I'm looking at this is like, I don't want to talk about the Steelers' backfield unless we're talking about Anthony McFarland. That's really all I'm concerned. This guy's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. This guy. 7.0 yards per carry. Just end the career there. Put him in the Hall of Fame. He's got his jacket right (laughs) there. Bring him to Canton. Huge first game. No, I was happy. I was really happy to see him on the field after getting the healthy scratch as well the first uh, week or two or whatever. But uh, Benny Snell looked like the better back over James Conner in week one. 
And then, like, shit just got so messy there between the reports of was it an ankle injury? Did he get benched? Is he going to be playing next week? And I, for a second, it, Benny Snell was never a guy on my radar. Like, I was never drafting on rookie drafts. But then this summer came around, and you're you're right. Like, I, I heard uh, Matt Kelly on his podcast repeating it over towards the end of the summer about, like, Sean Siegel saying it. I started drafting a little bit of Benny, Benny Snell in best ball leagues. Oh, and yeah. he, he started getting on my radar a little bit. And then I saw week one happen, and I was like, oh, Benny Snell, like, might actually be a thing this year. And then they just they just gave it back to James Conner. So it seems to me that like even if they think James Conner is not the best back in their backfield, they trust him the most, I guess. So he's proven the last two weeks that he he is the guy until an injury physically forces him off the field. So I, I don't know if I want to pull the trigger on the Benny Snell tweets because there's a good chance James Conner ends up on the sidelines again at some point this uh, season. Um, but but it's not good news for me. Yeah, but barring an injury, I mean Benny Snell is probably back to wherever he wherever the snails come from <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad you brought up anthony mcfarland I, I'm, I'm glad you did because this was a guy we brought up a few weeks ago when benny snell had that good game and we talked about hey this is good news because there's a lot of people that still believe that james connor's the guy so you've got this sort of divisiveness between these two groups that can't tell which guy's the guy but nobody's talking about anthony mcfarland that was your chance to go after him now he's played on the field exactly to your point played well and it's like shit What's the future look like now? Because we can almost guarantee James Conner gets hurt again. I mean, that is with almost a guarantee. He will get hurt once again. It's coming. And if Benny Snell doesn't look good, given the opportunity to be the starter at that point, McFarland could run away with a significant workload up until the point that we get Conner back. And then we're fucked. What about again. Josh? What about Josh Allen? What about he he looks amazing right now? I and I have admittedly so taken taking lots of craps on him yeah. since coming into the league so thought it wasn't going to happen talk talk to me about josh allen is this for real yeah i mean I, I can't give you a take that's that's different from anyone in the league right now about how impressive this dude's been i saw a tweet somewhere that over the last 14 games 33 total touchdowns three interceptions like that is wow, those are insane. insane numbers and the bigger takeaway here i think is that Nobody knows what the fuck they're talking about when it comes to projecting quarterbacks, both in the NFL and on Twitter. So when dudes start just attack, every time someone gets attacked as a bad quarterback, he ends up being good, I feel like. So <laughs> in Dynasty, I'm legit just going to close my eye. If, if we have multiple top 10 draft picks, I'm probably going to close my eyes and just whatever one my finger lands on, that's the guy I'm going to draft because everybody is horrible at projecting quarterbacks. That's my takeaway from this. I uh, and Nate already tipped the cat to, to tip the cap to Evan Silva, who uh, called the the Leonard Fournette getting cut. Evan Silva was also well far uh, out ahead of Josh Allen for MVP. I don't know how the fuck this guy does it or how he lands <laughs> on such a ridiculous platform like Josh Allen for MVP. But man, through three games, Silva looks like he's running the button again. Nate, is that does that make the Leonard Fournette? take even hurt more knowing that you also were you know fighting against josh i mean this is this is this is just rough man this is rough come on i take no l's uh <laughs> no he's listen man silva's the goat for a reason but uh no it's 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 crazy because here's what happens russell wilson has a legit shot at mvp i think in 2018 was it 18 or 17 i can't remember and fucking cam newton plays out of his mind scores like 45 touchdowns some insane some insane thing then here we go again, Russell Wilson just last year playing out of his mind. And here comes Lamar Jackson, plays out of his mind, scores a, a ton of touchdowns. 
And you feel like, okay, this is the year. Russ is playing incredibly. There shouldn't be any competition. And then here we go. Here's Josh Allen, who's playing super well. And he's legitimately in the conversation. And I swear to God, if Russell Wilson doesn't fucking win MVP this year, I'm going to lose my mind. Do a two-hour stream of me just swearing at, at everybody that had a vote. He hasn't even had a vote yet. Russell Wilson hasn't he's, had a he's vote He's going to win. Yet. Don't worry. Right? There's no fucking – there's no – Someone, person that's not a psychotic maniac right now <laughs> that would actually put Josh Allen above Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is playing like if 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 aliens came down and only saw the first three games of yes. this NFL season, they would be like Russell Wilson is the best player that's ever played the game. Like that's where we're at right now. <laughs> I I don't disagree. Russ is playing incredibly. So that's the that's the literally the only thing I have going for me. Josh Allen's also getting 38 pass attempts per game right now. Which is fucking shocking, okay? Andy's still running the ball, you know, week one, 14 the carries. Steph, the, the, the Steph Diggs effect, man. The Steph, Steph Diggs is fucking good as hell, and the Vikings just said, nah, we don't, we're, 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 we're good with what we got. Which, I guess the, if the Justin Jefferson thing works out, then that well, may be talk okay. About, talk about the, I mean, talk about one of the bigger misses on the year. All I heard. All I heard was that Stephon Diggs is not going to thrive in Buffalo. That this is going to be problematic that Josh Allen is erratic, that the target share won't be there. And Stephon Diggs to this point in the season is fucking wrecking shop. I mean, I don't even I don't even know what to say. I feel like I've been lied to. <laughs> he's I just mean, he's just this is the first time he's ever been on the field where he's like the clear alpha. He's like the clear number one. Doesn't have to share like as long as he could prove that he's Stephon Diggs and he's doing what he's been doing for the last couple of years, no one can touch him. Where when he was in Minnesota, like Thielen's a good fucking wide receiver and he's always had to compete with him. And the chemistry between Thielen and Kirk Cousins, like you just can't come between that, even if Diggs was the better wide receiver on the field. So I think this is, you know, his his chance to step in and be like, I am the true number one because no one's even within fucking miles of me right now. John Brown is, mm -hmm. is cute and all, but like listen, he's not half the player that Diggs is. I mean, Kirk Cousins is a mega stink bomb, too. But Stephon Diggs is number four overall in wide receiver scoring, uh, total points, number four in fantasy points per game at the position. Uh, this is insanity. All these all these people led me astray. They cost me lots of money, lots of dinero. Doesn't make me feel good at night. Uh, it's something that keeps me up perpetually. We're going to be word. buying Constantly. so many more cards. I was about to say, we're, we're going to make it back. The revenue is going to be big with them cards, baby. <laughs> don't worry. I love it, baby. I know. I'm looking to get a big W on those. Don't what, make what, me pull my box of cards why don't you, out. Why don't, you buy a few, <laughs> why don't you buy a few Stefan Diggs cards right now and then fucking throw it I, in their faces? I should, except the market's probably so juiced. You're, you know, you're selling high. Right I now. mean, you're buying high, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're buying too high. You got you to buy when they're low. So... Okay, we talked about this off show. This is a topic I know you've been waiting to get to. Ryan appropriately stuffed it towards the end of the show sheet here. Justin Jefferson blew up this week. Was this somebody you were high on? And can we expect more of this going forward? So, I, yeah, I, I was I was high on him in, in the summer. And then the combine kind of blew me away. And, you know, if you just followed reports, like any normal person would obviously have to kind of temper expectations throughout the summer because he landed on the IR COVID list. And then this Sunday, man, like they finally let this man play. And for the first two weeks, he was playing behind Ola BC Johnson, behind Chad Beebe. And the snap count, he finally got in on like 80% of the snaps this weekend. He became the number two de facto. I went back and watched the game because like you don't see numbers like that very often from a rookie. So I had to go back and I had to watch. And I own Thielen in a, in a bunch of places. And I'm like, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit worried right now for Thielen's sake. And, uh, 
and I've said this on my channel, but I don't know. Do you guys follow uh, Brett Coleman? Are you familiar with who Brett Coleman is? He I don't follow. The, uh, don't he does some he breakdowns. I think, yeah, he's right? got like he's, he's got guy. like a real yeah. big YouTube channel, and he does a lot of film analysis, and he's really fucking good at it. And I talked to him in the DM sometime, and in like August, he was like, "Yo, make sure you scoop Justin Jefferson everywhere, like in season long as your wide receiver five. He's gonna be the wide receiver one in that offense by by Thanksgiving. He's like Keenan Allen. Um, he, he's like Keenan Allen with better. I forget what he said. Better something. And I was like, no fuck. Like you're out of your mind, dude. Like get get out of my DMs. And I'm looking back at this game. <laughs> I was blown the fuck away when I went back and watched him play. This was not a lucky game. He was so he. It, it gave me Terry McLaurin vibes. Like the first time I watched the game of Terry McLaurin when he blew up and Jefferson. I was looking at numbers. I was like, dude, this dude's so young. So that 175 yard receiving game he had. Third youngest player ever to do it. It was Juju. It was Mike Evans. Justin Jefferson, guy behind him, Randy Moss. Like this is very, very, very good company. And and the crazy, crazy part about it is when Kirk was dropping back on Sunday, Jefferson was his first read every single time. Like the four targets that Thielen got, it was a, it was a, it was a made up screenplay. Like they already had that play going. The touchdown he had was a broken play that Kirk Cousins had to roll out of the pocket at. Like Jefferson. Like really, it really like took the words out of my mouth. Like this, I'm like stumbling and shit right now. I was super impressed by Jefferson, and he's a guy I would literally buy high on in dynasty right now before he continues to do it for the rest of the season. Yeah, and I know Nate probably has a a, a little bit to add because he, I think he had a couple different pieces on Patreon and everywhere else where it was like Justin Jefferson kind of felt like a forgotten player in most dynasty drafts. Um, and again, it was a it was a good wide receiver class, and I guess Jefferson kind of got swept aside. And I know the questions with him was how would he fit, uh, at least initially, into Minnesota given the role that he played in Louisiana State, knowing that Thielen mans the slot, and that's kind of Cousins' guy out of there. Can Jefferson play and thrive on the outside? Uh, and I don't know what the alignment was this past week or where, where he was operating out of. I assume mostly on the outside, if not all on the outside. Outside. Yeah. Um, but again, I think, you know, the, the question has quickly been answered and I think we'll see going forward. Uh, I, I haven't heard the wide receiver one by Thanksgiving take. That is a little bit spicy, for me, but I fucking love it. Um, just because I think Thielen, uh, you know, can be leapfrog like that. Uh, and I th- think Thielen is still a good player. So that probably says a lot more about Justin Jefferson. But yeah, so just to hop in before Nate hops on there for the alignment, he was mainly slot for week one and week two. And then basically 88% of his routes were on, on uh, out wide in week three. Beautiful. Yeah. So that, so that, and again, if I remember correctly, NATO, that was the, con- that was one of the big concerns with Jefferson was just how he's going to transition to a pure, I don't want to say pure outside role, but operating more outside than he was, you know, playing inside with, you know, someone like Jamar chase outside and, and, and kind of doing what, 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 what he was doing. So um, yeah, again, it, it certainly seems to be wheels up. I don't think buying high is the wrong approach at all. It's just kind of knowing i guess the question really is how much faith do you have in Kirk cousins can he keep things going can he keep the the boat afloat and nate is shaking his head that he doesn't have much confidence i have in kirk very cousins. little confidence in kirk cousins i mean the next game's in houston that'll be more difficult matchup but then they're playing in seattle and seattle can't stop shit so if you wanted to buy Justin Jefferson, you could possibly wait one more week. But if you wait until after week five or going into Atlanta in week six, I mean, it's going to be terrible. He's going to be hard to purchase at that point. But yeah, this is a guy that back in college, I believe he ran like 98.5% of his snaps his final year out of the slot. So there were a lot of questions about how would he do versus man press coverage on the outside where you know he doesn't have this free release like he does playing out of the slot. But clearly... 
it, it hasn't mattered. I mean, on the year, as Nick had brought up, he technically has run more out of the slot than Adam Thielen, but we've seen a change. And I think all along, when you listen offseason, there were plenty of beliefs that this guy could play on the outside. I don't think it was really necessarily a question. I think the question was what we saw in college, and they thought that it wasn't going to translate. But this is a guy that played played at LSU, played at an incredibly difficult conference, faced the toughest corners week over week. And we're starting to learn as we see Joe Burrow, as we see Jefferson, as we see Clyde Edwards, and everybody tries to build these narratives that Clyde Edwards was a byproduct of the offense and the offensive line, and Joe Burrow was a byproduct of the offensive line and the receivers, and you know Justin Jefferson was a byproduct of Joe Burrow, and Jamar Chase, maybe they were all just fucking good. Maybe everybody was just really, really good, right? Like it's not surprising that Burrow's number one, Clyde Edwards is awesome, Justin Jefferson is awesome, oops. So if you bought into the absurd narrative, then it probably bit you in the butt, but I mean, Justin Jefferson wasn't a wasn't a first round guy. I know in some of the drafts that I was in, in rookie drafts, I saw him going 109, 110, but typically he was right there at the turn. And that was even in non-super flex. So, you know, if you if we redrafted everything right now, it would be shocking to see how things would break down. I think guys like Ruggs would fall way further out. I saw Ruggs go a lot higher. Guys like Jefferson would move in. Chenault would probably move in. Edwards would move in. So Yeah, so I did that. Just, I put that tweet out. Uh, I put a tweet out last week, like redoing a rookie draft. And I, mm. I put the guy. It, it, was, it was pretty similar. I had Akers move down a little bit. I had um, – it, it was tough to choose, like, the 111, 112 spots. And Je- Jefferson wasn't in there for me because, I mean, how could you have put him in after the summer in week one and week two? After this game, man, like – I'm really I, I, I don't walk away from film like too often. Very, very um, just like eye popping, man. And I, I really feel like Jefferson's got a, a clean role here. And like you brought up the the schedule, man. It's it's Houston. I talked about this in my waiver wire vid today. So I like have it off the top. It's like Houston, Seattle, Atlanta. They get a buy Green Bay, Detroit. Chicago's like their one tough game in the next 11 weeks. After that, it's Dallas, Carolina, Jacksonville. Like, dude, it's, it's wheels up for the next 10 weeks for this offense. And um, they, they were so desperate for another passing option. Like you could tell in the first two weeks. It was so it was so grainy. It just Kirk trying to force feed targets to Adam Thielen. Like he didn't want as much as he wanted to do it. He like stopped wanting to do it quickly, and he found his right. his next guy in Jefferson. And I feel like this is going to be a real uh, competition for number one there. And we we talked about this too when the NFL draft was going on. Some of these trades, it was kind of like, and Ryan mentioned this with Stephon Diggs. It was just kind of a flip flop. It was like, okay, we're gonna let this guy go. We're gonna get the draft pick. We're gonna replace him with a rookie. And we saw this happen a couple different times throughout the draft. So seeing Justin Jefferson take off is is awesome, man. That guy is really good. If he's the number one wide receiver overall, I will crap my pants though. That would be. <laughs> That's that's super spicy. Okay, the, that's the take was wide receiver one in Minnesota by Thanksgiving. Okay. Like he would overtake okay. Okay. he would overtake Adam. That would have I would have fallen off my chair. Nah, I, I wouldn't have brought the, I wouldn't have brought some nonsense up like that. <laughs> I would have put a diaper on. Okay, let's go to the last question here. So Cedric Wilson, is he good? Is he not good? This this is one of the most stacked groups of wide receivers. In Dallas, you've got Michael Gallup, you've got Amari Cooper, we've got CeeDee Lamb, and now Cedric Wilson. What are your thoughts on him? Is he a guy to stash in Dynasty? Yeah, I mean, a crazy ride for for Cedric Wilson going back to his history. Uh, balled out at community college for a couple of years, transferred to Boise State, balled out for another couple of years. He gets drafted by the Cowboys ends, uh, in 2018, ends both of 2018 and 2019 on the IR, 2020 starts, and then 
the rest is history after what he did on Sunday, five for one hundred seven and two. Um, shout out to to Wikipedia for for all that fucking information right there. <laughs> like he looked good, but like I mean, realistically, I don't know. What are you gonna do with him? Like we're we're already trying to figure out like what wide receiver to own in Dallas between Cooper and Lamb and uh and, and Gallup, and it's just like he's he's the number four there on a on on his best week, right? So. He's a talent that maybe you hope ends up in another situation or like best case scenario. What if one of these guys gets moved like he moves into the three? Are you confident about him being I mean, he's on the waiver wire for every dynasty league, which is great because you actually have the opportunity to go get him. So I would say, like, listen, it's between like him and fucking I don't know, like uh, Cole Beasley's probably already added. So that's a bad, uh, bad metaphor here. But it's between him and guys that like you want no part of. Right. So I was going to might as well pick him up right? like him or Gabe Davis. Like, right, like Gabriel Davis is kind of one of these guys in sort of that same group. I mean, I don't know if Gabriel Davis is owned everywhere, but this is I don't I don't know. I guess these two players, who would you prefer out of those two, Gabriel Davis or Cedric Wilson? So that, that's a good question, because Gabriel Davis has looked pretty good so far in the early parts of the season. And my I, I want to look up right now what John Brown's contract situation is um, so they could have some I think he's end of this year, end of twenty twenty one. But they can cut him and save about eight million, eight and eight and a half million if they cut him this offseason. He's a good player, so maybe it doesn't really make sense for them to just straight up cut him. But I, I think like Gabriel Davis has a much clearer path to actually because John John Brown's hurt right now. So Gabriel Davis can make a name for himself while Josh Allen is red hot and like cement the role in this offense. Can Cedric Wilson do that again? Like if they just go three wide receiver sets really heavy over the next month of the season does Cedric Wilson get on the field for more than 20 percent of the snaps I think I think this is this seems like a very quick overreaction to a Cedric Wilson yes. game right now um so I, I'll take Gabriel Davis yes. and, and admittedly I I had to you know the Nate I feel like when I was on the early the early early stages of the Patreon account I, we would fucking ask these questions and we would get a we get a bunch of replies from the awesome awesome patrons and there'd always be just some random ass like dynasty buy like so Cedric Wilson to me felt like it might have this question might appeal to like one or two listeners in this show so I figured I could I can give them a little hey en- enjoy the Cedric Wilson you know banter back and forth you know but I, I what I really wanted to ask I mean is this number one is this the best wide receiver group in the league, just assuming health and assuming you got, you know, you got Lamb, Gallup, uh, Cooper, and then you have someone like Wilson who apparently can elevate and step up when called upon. So that, that's kind of my, my, my first question. Second question is what, where do you look or, or how do you approach this group dynasty wise? You know what I mean? Like, is there going to be, you know, is Gallup, is, is the team long for Gallup? Is, is Cooper going to stick around um, knowing that they have Lamb? Is it going to be the Lamb and Gallup show going forward? You know, is, is Wilson going to somehow rise and, and, insert himself into a wide receiver three. That's probably, again, like Nick said, a, a large overreaction off of last week. But I just find the Dallas group fascinating knowing that they have, much like the the, the, the Russell Wilson talk, you know, you have someone as good as Dak Prescott, you want to attach yourself to as many of those pass catchers as you can. And this group is just loaded, man. There's so many different options. Yeah, so I think the way to look at them dynasty-wise is – if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's the way I would think Dallas is looking at it right now. I don't think they're actively trying to break this 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 fucking group apart, right? There's no reason for that. The, the problem on this team is clearly their defense. If they can get their defensive things, whether it's being healthy or you know just just hitting on some draft picks at cornerback or whatever it needs to be, like this offense will more than do its part. So I'm imagining they're going to try to keep this group together as long as possible. Um, and for me, that would clearly put Gallup as the number three. Like a lot of the things that people talked about this offseason kind of came to fruition. Like we were worried about Gallup because CD Lamb was so talented. 
and we've seen CD Lamb be like a very consistent piece of this offense and have like a really nice ceiling and a really nice floor. Uh, dynasty wise, I mean, Cooper seems like the alpha for now, but CD Lamb is certainly talented enough to make this a one A one B situation. Um, I, I like CD Lamb is is someone that I'm really 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 high on in dynasty. He's uh, I, he's definitely a, a top ten dynasty wide receiver for me right now, and I would take him very very early in in, uh, in like startup drafts. So I'm I, I'm more hesitant on Cooper. He's obviously like the older of the bunch, and I feel like. I feel like not not that he's a ticking time bomb, but like his value doesn't seem like it can actually go up right now, right? Right, right, and you know, and Amari, he's got. Uh, I think Amari might have next to CD Lamb. They're they're neck and neck for the expiration on their contract, so it's close between these two. And we talked about this in the past. Like Dallas didn't expect to have CD Lamb fall in their lap. We thought CD Lamb was probably going to Oakland. We thought he could have mm. gone to anybody else. Sorry, Ryan. But CeeDee Lamb, I mean, he fell to Dallas, and now they've got this wealth of riches where they've got him, they've got Gallup, they've got Cooper. The reality is that they still need to pay Dak Prescott, and there's going to be other guys in this offense that need to get paid as well. So the question is, what do you do? Gallup's actually the one whose contract expires first, and I believe it's in 2022. So the odds are there's a chance that Dallas trades Gallup to get value for him. I mean, and the problem with Gallup, too, is – he feels like he's going to be the most hit or miss from week to week for me, at least in Dallas. Because he's like I unstartable think he, almost. He's almost unstartable in fantasy. That's a problem. Uh, yeah. What What do you do? And I think that Dallas realizes this as well, as well. Even though they want to throw the ball a lot, they want Dak to throw the ball a lot. They need to find value somewhere. They need to open up this payroll. And when it comes time to pay Michael Gallup, if he continues to kind of flash this ability, Michael Gallup's not going to want to take some team friendly deal to stay with Dallas if he can go get a number one style contract somewhere else. So I think that might be the first guy to go, especially, again, his contract ending three years earlier than the rest of these guys. That might be the reality of the situation. No, that, that, so, that makes a lot of sense. I, I would imagine Gallup is, is probably the first one uh, out of there. If he can, He's one of those players that, like, good enough to command a contract elsewhere that's probably actually above his talent level, but it's what the market yeah. value is, and someone else will want to sure. grab him on it. So the Cowboys will probably let him go because they're going to have to resign a, a whole bunch of fucking players so it could be a process so i think the debate between like cooper here's the way i look at it like cooper and cd lamb next next summer going into startups they're probably going to be picked around the same ish area right like maybe Mm -hmm. maybe lamb is like wide receiver 10 and cooper wide receiver 11 12 right like only one of those guys's values is probably going up and the other one's probably going down so if you can get in on that value swap like way earlier than when it's actually going to happen it seems like the smarter move right now yeah, that I mean, that makes sense. I mean, they're both so talented and Dallas throws the ball enough and Dak is good enough to, to keep these two guys afloat. But again, it is a rarity and it happens. It does happen annually. But when I say rarity, not amongst the total league for two guys to finish top 15 at the position, it's happened. You know, we've seen it with Diggs and Thielen. We've seen it with A.B. and Juju, um, a, a bunch of other times in between there. But it doesn't happen all the time, but this would sort of be that pairing. If it was going to happen, this would be the two guys. But I'm with you. I love Amari Cooper, but I think CeeDee Lamb is, is going to get the nudge going into 2021. So if you got him in your rookie drafts, man, the sky's the limit for him. Ryan, you got any other take on Dallas, man? You wrote the question. <laughs> Nothing, man. Everyone, we all, I think we all held hands and we and we we walked through that together. Perfectly. I hate going out that way. That's not that's not how I do shows typically. <laughs> you've been, I did you've been hanging line... around Matt way too much. <laughs> We're friends pass here. The, We're team. Pa- pass the mic to Nick, man. Let let Nick get the people fired up and bring us out on a really really hot a really high hot note here. 
do your thing, Nick. All right. Um, well, I, uh, I I always appreciate chopping it up with you guys. You guys are uh, on the real two of my favorite people within the industry right now, and that's why when when some weird shady shit happens, I I end up DMing you guys because yeah, the the DMs man are my fucking favorite part. And I got and I wanted to not to cut you off. I wanted to start off with Go. this man. Like I fucking before you guys got into the Leonard Fournette thing. Like I like. Nate and I, we call each other, talk to each other multiple times a week. And he's always like, yo, like, so who do you think of for the next guest? I think every week's before, like, even week one, like, I was like, yo, we got a fucking Nick on, man. Like, Nick, I've, I've asked for Nick, I think, every single week. So when we finally linked up, man, I, I was kind of fanboying out. I'm like, yo, we got Nick back, bro. The show's going to be awesome. Like, I'm excited. So legit, man, always, always, always a pleasure uh, to sit down and just fucking talk ball with you, man. Yeah, we, we hit it off well. We're we're like very. Uh, I, I think we're all very even keel, and we're we're like down to earth. So I know when I DM you guys about something that's like borderline questionable, like I don't yeah. I don't need to be politically correct around y'all. So <laughs> so so like I, I relate to you guys on that level. And there's not a lot of dudes in the industry that I could say that about. So uh, <laughs> always always a pleasure coming on here. Appreciate it, man. Well, you got anything you want to plug? Uh, no, nah, I mean, my, most of my stuff is on YouTube. Some of, uh, I'm also going to post this video on YouTube. So if you're watching, you guys can obviously go follow, uh, Ryan and Nate. I have their stuff linked in the description, but on the Roto Underworld radio stuff, um, y'all can find me on YouTube, uh, just Nick Ercolano, E-R-C-O-L-A-N-O. Um, and, and that's really it. Love it, man. All right. Always great having you on Nick. Good show as usual. Clearly you did your homework. <laughs> I'm blown away. Always. The statistics, the depth, the knowledge, man. You did uh, you did fantastic tonight. Look forward to having you back. Maybe down the road after London Fortnite, just stack some just good games on top of each other. That's like not oh, happen. after he streams, whoa, whoa. After he streams I'm like sorry, three. I, that, was, that was a hot mic. That was a hot three mic. Three good ones mic. together. I'm bringing you back. We'll, we'll bring you back. All right, man. We'll, we'll have a little more negativity on the show next time. Let's do it. I love it, man. All right, look forward to it. All right, later. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.